This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends, and happy Friday to you. You made it, my friends. Another week. Yes! Yes, you did it. Oh, I'm so proud of you. You thought you couldn't do it. You know? It's just another week. But this is going to be an extended weekend for many. Many will get to uh, take Monday off. Thank you. Thank you. The choir's involved. The choir. How do we get the Motab to fit in this studio? I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a big studio. I mean... It's a warm studio today. Motab is the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, by the way. Yes. And uh, apparently they'll be taking uh, Labor Day off. It's Labor Day weekend. So today we thought we'd talk about labor issues. Yeah. And, you know, what better way to celebrate Labor Day by not laboring? Well, the best way to celebrate a Labor Day weekend would obviously be buying a car. (gasps) Are you buying a car? No, but that's what you do on a Labor Day weekend. Or you go buy furniture or you go get a deal on carpet. Okay. This is the day. I mean, Labor Day is the moment. Purses. You can get purses on discount. Are you going to get a purse to to match your VW? Yeah. Yeah. A little Labor Day purse sale. Just like your eyes. Mm, That was weird. (laughs) <laughs> Awkward moments brought to you by the Matt Townsend Show and Jeff Simpson, of course. By the way, it's also Friday, and Friday makes it fun because that means of the three-hour show, I only have to worry about two hours of it. Then we turn over an hour to Jeff Simpson, and he talks about screen cleaning. I love how you said basically that the third hour of the show is really the only one that nobody needs to worry about. Yeah, what I was saying is I only worry <laughs> about the first two hours. On air, and then I go to my office and listen to your show and then worry about it off air. Like, okay. oh boy, are we, oh boy, I'm going right. about that. Well, we're talking board games today. We're speaking with a board game expert. Okay. Aficionado. What does that have to do with screen cleaning? It's, well, screen cleaning is all about entertainment. Yes. And board games are a form of entertainment. Uh, just because you don't play any board games, you only watch Netflix, yeah. doesn't mean that it's not entertainment for someone else. That's true. But the word board games in, in the name has the word board. Right. Different spelling, though. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm with you on that. We're talking that. Okay. We are also uh, – I've got some great news that I'm going to be sharing. Cole <gasps> has some great news that pregnant? he's going to be sharing. Are you expecting – no. You and the missus? No. Okay. No. I thought you said you had great news. And I'm going to uh I'm going to cry on Spencer and Jerem's shoulder. Oh boy. And ho- I'm hoping that they can speak <sighs> some comfort to me. See, here's the deal about that because it used to be my favorite part of the show was to talk to Spencer and Jerem about the upcoming game. And now because you always have the Friday show, you can come back. It's your show. You're still in the building. You're just down the hall. It's a few steps. You're back in the room. You could be. Uh, you could rudely interrupt the interview if you'd like. Well, but that would be right about in the middle of my REM sleep. Yeah, that's that's the exact timing of it. Actually, it's exactly right. So, 
Uh, maybe what I'll have to do is I'll start doing a preview of the big game on Thursday. So this is the game that Spencer and Jerem all but predicted would be a, a no, an L for you BYU. Can't, you can't say that. They, they don't ever just say they're going to lose. They say this is a great chance to learn. Here's how they could win. I don't even know if they say that. <laughs> they would just say this is – because LSU is ranked I think 12th or 13th in the country. And they're going to the Bayou. They're going to Nolins. And, you know, L and S, two letters that appear in the word loser or lose. Or close. <laughs> That's true. Man, you're kind of being negative about it. You just got to pretend to, to believe. You, not even pretend. You got to believe. That was our high school theme. You got to believe. And we took state with that. You, you got to. You got to believe. Really? You got to. You got to. Believe. Was it you or yeah? It was gotta. you. Okay, but we'd kind of say yeah. But you, yeah, gotta. you gotta g o t t a believe. You gotta believe. Okay, that was fantastic. <laughs> that was my motivational moment right there. You know, I'm I'm trying to bring in more of my life lessons because I have a really incredible life. I've lived a wonderful life, and I have never. I don't think I've ever talked about you gotta believe, and we took state because of that. Now, did it take uh, an angel coming down and showing you the error of your ways for you to decide you had a wonderful life? No. No. Okay. Just my Good. drive here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We had some close calls. <laughs> they're, what they're doing is construction all the way from the main freeway I come in on to BYU uh, campus, and every day I feel like I have a near-death experience. Just move to uh, – one of the other nearby cities. So you're not no. like 45 minutes away. No, no. You're not going to do it. Okay. No. It's no. cheaper down here. Sure. I'm sure it is. Sure. It's because you nearly die. Come da- just come down to our level, Matt. It's because you nearly die every time you drive through the city here. <laughs> I can't do that. I can't do it. But not that I don't love it. It's a great town. Provo Orem, the great Provo Orem area. You just can't be seen with the lower class. No, I, I don't see it that way at all. <laughs> I just... Can't do it. We, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, truck drivers. Bass, our favorite truck driver of all time, was on his way to Kentucky yesterday. He called in, and uh, we hadn't talked to him for a year probably. I miss old Bass. Right. But it, it got our minds thinking that we need to – these big rig truckers out there, sometimes you get frustrated because you're like, man, he's, he's encroaching on my lane or whatever. But the reality is they're, they're probably holding up America. Right? They're getting everything you need. They're getting it transported across the country. And they're probably taking a bigger burden of the risk and responsibility financially than even the companies that have their names on the trucks. Really? Because a lot of these truckers are independent. Ooh. And they, they, they pay a fine, basically. They pay a toll to get stuff to happen. They're, they're floating their gas money, and they may not get it back. And those meals at all the truck stops really start to add up. And so we're, we're going to show you what's happening to big rig trucking in America. So if you're a truck driver, buckle in and get ready for a great interview with, a, by the way, a Ph.D. that did his dissertation 
by getting in a big rig and driving around the country for like six months. That's awesome. Pretty cool. That'd be a cool gig. So uh, we'll be talking about that in a few moments. We'll also get to, of course, some other headlines, some other empty news. But first to the real headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the country we should be paying attention to? August didn't quite meet expectations with uh, 156,000 new jobs created and 4.4% unemployment rate versus the analyst expectations of 179,000 new jobs. So we underperformed. Wow. And the uh, unemployment rate was expected to be at 4.3. It's at 4.4. Wrong. Those numbers are all constantly <laughs> uh, readjusted and Apparently Mr. Trump didn't like those numbers. We'll see what happens. Uh, while clear skies return to Houston Thursday for the first time since the city was pummeled by Tropical Storm Harvey, officials are warning that dangers are not yet over for coastal Texans. Health experts are cautioning that the floods could bring with them disease like cholera, typhoid, a chemical runoff in the water could contaminate homes for the foreseeable mm. future. He goes, we're telling people to avoid the flood water as much as possible. Says a spokesperson from the Houston Health Department, don't let your children play in it. If you do touch it, wash it off. Remember, this is going to go on for weeks. So far, the city's drinking water and sewer systems appear to be safe. Ugh. Anyone living off well water, though, is advised not to use it. So to recap... The people in Houston have to worry about mold, raw sewage, mosquitoes, leaking fuel, deadly bacteria, and venomous reptiles. Well, oh, and the occasional looting. <laughs> yeah, and there's looting and exploding Other chemical than plants. That, and... It's a sunny day it's great. in Houston. Don't worry about it. Uh, President Trump reportedly plans to request about $6 billion in emergency funding on Friday today to deal with the fallout uh, in Texas. The request, which officials say could come as early as Friday, would allocate $5.5 billion to, the, uh, to FEMA. As the and the, and the rest of that money, the uh, would go to a small business administration, according to the report, to help mm. getting businesses back on their feet after the destruction. Why doesn't he just ask Mexico for the money and then forego building the wall? Oh boy, no, now the, wall, the wall's got to happen. You can't say that. <laughs> we'll see That's... what happens. Then, then we're fighting words. Uh, in an escalation of diplomatic conflict with Moscow, the State Department has given Russia three days to vacate the consulate in San Francisco. A chancery in Washington, D.C., and a consular annex in New York. The decision comes a month after the Russians ordered the U.S. to vacate two facilities used by hundreds of diplomatic personnel and reduce its presence to 455 staff in retaliation for a new round of congressionally mandated U.S. sanctions reluctantly signed by President Donald Trump. So this mm. is the next step. Yeah. So we'll see what Russia does to retaliate against our retaliation to their retaliation of something we did. Yeah. It's like hey, it's like when you get in that 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 slugging contest with your brother he and you hit him and he yeah. hits you and you hit him and yeah. you don't even really escalate it. You just see who can take the bruising the longest. And then you kind of forget what happened to yeah. start it off. You just knew mm-hmm. who hit you last. Until mom and dad or the UN come in and like, hey! When I was a kid, my dad goes, I'm done. If yeah. you guys yell, I'm not involved. And I'm like, I look at my brother, no one's going to save you. <laughs> <laughs> you are dying. I right hated now. it when the UN showed up at my house. Yeah. We called them Uncle UN. Mm-hmm. That was a bad day, wasn't mm. it? Newly formed Hurricane Irma is set to strengthen to a Category 3 storm on Thursday, potentially a Category 4 over the weekend, all just a week after Hurricane Harvey made its devastating landfall in Texas. The center of Irma, which is on Thursday, was about 500 or 650 miles west of Cabo Verde Island, so it's out in the Atlantic, yeah. way out past Florida, all out. Irma. It's expected to move southwest about 10 miles per hour. Experts say it's too soon to speculate on a potential U.S. threat, but it's out there in the Atlantic. Uh, now ruining another good name. Irma. Irma? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't your daughter going to name their next child Irma? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, they were going to name their son Harvey and their daughter Irma. Mm. Ooh. So 
you know, now we got to come up with new names. Speaking of too soon. <laughs> and finally, uh, today is not only just, you know, the weekend. Yeah. There's all sorts of positive things. Really? It's, it's Force Friday. Oh, really? Yes. Force Friday? Force Friday. Disney Lucas Films have uh, uh, again teamed up with a number of companies to release Star Wars themed toys ahead of the premiere date of the uh, latest installment of the cult franchise. Okay, good. <laughs> cool toys. So, one of the cool ones they put out a new Millennium Falcon Lego set, 7,541 <sighs> pieces. It cost $800. Wow. Think of how many pieces could be stepped on. It's the single most expensive. <laughs> little kids aren't buying this. This is for adults. Okay. The single most expensive Lego set the company has ever sold. $800. 800 bucks. It has 10 minifigures that come with it. There's Han Solo, C- uh, C-3PO, Leia, Chewbacca, BB-8, Han, uh, old Han, because you got to have old Han and new Han. Sure, the new, yeah. New movie yeah. What about Goldie Han? Flynn, uh, Ooh, Finn, she's wonderful. She's Finn incredible. and Ray, and then there are two new ones, which are kind of like the pets of Chewbacca. Oh, really? They're called Porgs. Uh huh. We'll have to see what those are. But I had a Porg you once. Have ten minifigures with this thing. You can uh, recreate the uh, the scenes like the Minoc attack in the uh, Empire Strikes Back. I mean, if you if you want to, you could. Yeah. That, that's really because it, it, it comes with a Minoc apparently. So there's another f- monster type thing. Oh, so, okay, good. Uh, it has like the deflector dish that's on top of the mm. uh, Millennium Falcon that gets broken off oh, in yeah. one of the movies as they're flying through the uh-huh. Death Star. Yes, it's, it's a key element many fans yeah, want to have. Disc. You want that? It says um, <laughs> there's also a new BB-8 Lego model with 1,000 pieces coming out in September. That one's only 100. dollars Oh, that's that's a better deal. So speaking of BB-8, there's also yeah, they had the radio, the remote controlled BB-8 little robot toy you could buy. Uh-huh. It was from a company called Sphero. They come out with a evil twin BB-8 huh? called Whoa. BB-9E. You Ooh, see there, he the, looks evil. He's it's really a ball with Whoa. a little head. Hey. Don't mess with the robot. Sorry, sorry. Matt really doesn't like to talk about BB-8 because he once got tricked into buying a BB gun, uh-huh. and the guy trying to sell it sell it to him told him it was a BB-8. Yeah, and I didn't even know what a BB-8 was. You just knew that your kids wanted one yeah, for Christmas. That's right. Yeah. Next you, thing I know, somebody's taking an eye out. I have a list here of all the Lego sets that are coming out for Star that's Wars. Good. Do no, you want no, that? No, no, no. You can keep that. I just want to. No, it, it's good. got cool names like Resistant Transport Pod and First Order Heavy Scout Walker. How come we don't see this level of energy out of you on any other topic? Because every other topic is negative. This is sweet. So we don't have time to do it during my show, so I think we ought to talk about every one of these right now. Okay, we'll go back you to know, page two of the Lego this. sets. Uh, let's just let's let's get back to it. Okay. We'll get back to it in the third hour. No, that's fine. Um, we don't have time. There's a the droid hour. inventor kit, so little kids can build like a mm. little R two D two for themselves that oh, rolls around and talks lucky, to them. Lucky kids. There's also a Star Wars Jedi <laughs> Challenge, which is a smartphone powered augmented reality headset that lets you fight Kylo Ren and other sinister characters with a lightsaber. Come on, that's cool. Anyway, um, oh, back to some Trump news. Wait, what? Buzzkill. I didn't like that segue. Well, I don't. Mm, what do you want? I don't want to. Pre- I don't want. I'm not against Legos. Yeah. It's just they're just Legos. Hold on a second. Did you see Star Wars: The Force Awakens? Mm, which saw, one was that? See, he doesn't even. That know. was the one with Harrison Ford. the The most recent one with Harrison Ford. Mm, I believe I did. Did you see which one? Rogue One? Where they're trying to steal the plans to the Death Star. The Star Wars Dirty Dozen. I saw that one. So why are you pretending like you don't like Star Wars? No, 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 no. Star Wars is a great movie to watch. Mm. And then let it go. No. Then you just let it go. You can't do that. You don't have to buy all their paraphernalia. You don't have to buy their Lego set. (laughs) 
for $800, you don't. That's a, I'm just saying you can, or you can get a life. Mm. No fun. No fun at all. Boy, the crowd's mad today. What about the augmented reality lightsaber game? Do you want that one? That's awesome. For who? You. Me? You put your little headset on and you can you can fight bad guys. Well, or I could just watch football this weekend. Well, you can do or that. Or I could take my kids and we could play tennis. Uh, or we could just sit and talk as a family. Or we could build Legos and then have mom step on one of the Legos and then it's all over for everyone. It's easy. You just shuffle your feet across the floor. Now, you make it the whole static electricity <laughs> charge, but that's a danger you'll have to deal with. I just think it's really exciting that you guys like light up like little kids when we talk about Legos. It's Force Friday. You're in your 30s, gentlemen. It's time to not for long, and it's time to move on. It's time to. A couple years ago, they did Force Friday on YouTube, mm-hmm. and they had product reveals across the globe. They had them in Brazil, uh, they had them in Asia, they had them see, everywhere. You're, you're just playing into the great. It was awesome. You tune in at any moment, and you're someplace on the planet. They're revealing a new Star Wars this toy. Is, it's really fascinating because that's Star Wars, which is owned by Disney right now. Yeah, the franchise and Legos. Mm. But Legos competes with Disney in the amusement park arena. Yes, they do. So who has the right to Star Wars? They probably can't put Star in the Wars amusement park. Disney. See, so this whole set you just talked about, yeah, useless because you can't even go to Legoland and experience it. No, there's there's plenty to do at Legoland. Okay, not for an adult. I've heard you go on the Lego movie ride. There's a Lego movie. There's Ninjago coming out soon. Yeah, they have plenty. Man. Ninjago. How do you have space in your head to store this information? I have a kid. He talks about it all the time. No, like if I, yeah, you, you, you do, but you're not doing this for your kid. No. Well. Not really. <laughs> the Star Wars, yeah, some of this. Some of it. In answer to your question, other stuff, you know, that's not as important, like history and science, just goes yeah. in, one ear, in one ear out the other. Oh, okay. That makes sense. You have to make room for toys. That yeah. actually clarifies a lot for me. Now I understand. Why, yeah, history, <sighs> yeah, and, you know, psychology, science sociology. Is the, science is the first to go in my book. Health, science, yeah, all out the window so we can talk about Legos. It's good. It's good for, you know, 6 to 12-year-olds. Awesome stuff. Got a great show for you. We're going to be talking about the big rig trucking and the decline of the American dream. Up next, this is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. In the 1960s, truck driving was a great profession. It had benefits and fairly compensated workers for that time. Uh, However, since then, there's been a dramatic shift. Truck drivers are now expected to work long hours for little to no pay. In one case, a California truck driver took home 67 cents as a paycheck after paying for the gas and insurance and the lease payments on the truck. In fact, there are a lot of companies that are getting uh, some pretty good money actually leasing the trucks to these to the truck 
truck drivers and um, also uh, training them and doing the the education. And yet it's still kind of a dog-eat-dog world for the truck driver. So Steve Vichelli, a former truck driver and author of the book The Big Rig, Trucking and the Decline of the American Dream, is here with us this morning to talk about some research he did as a Ph.D. uh, student, I believe, where he went out and um, and basically – was a truck driver for six months and then uh, gleaned a lot of other information. Steve is a professor, an economic sociologist, and a lecturer at the University of Pennsylvania. Steve Vichelli, thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, Matt. It's great to be with you. I Okay. I grew up in a family where my grandfather owned a trucking company. It was mainly more of a mining and ore hauling truck business. But uh, so I have an incredible uh, respect and reverence for truck drivers. The interesting thing I'm finding out is it seems like the it's it's more about, you know, independent contracting now in the trucking world. And the truck drivers themselves are really carrying probably an undue burden when it comes to the business side of trucking. Well, there are still a lot of good truck driving jobs left out there. So, you know, some of those rock haulers and, and other local drivers and some of the, you know, folks working for Walmart and other private companies can still make a good wage and, and have a, you know, uh, time at home with their families, et cetera. But in the over-the-road segment of the industry, which is those drivers who are driving very long distances from one dock to another in a random pattern around the country oftentimes, <clears throat> Those drivers can spend sometimes 80, 90 hours a week working, Mm. and oftentimes they're sitting at docks unpaid. They can make less than minimum wage. And then there's a good portion of them now who are relatively new to the industry who get convinced by the company they work for to uh, take on the costs and risks of owning the equipment that they lease from the company they drive for, paying all the expenses. Then those workers can oftentimes work a full week, sometimes 60, 70 hours, and end up not earning anything at all. Ugh. I mean, I, I know what it's like to have a to be an independent contractor where you're fighting for your own food. But in the end, this is, I guess, this is, takes it almost to a new level because um, these companies, they, they work, they hire them as independent contractors, right? But they also then lease them the truck. They train them. They give them the dream. They even might uh, line them up with jobs, but the the paying for the gas, paying for the lease, paying for their meals, all of that has to be managed by the trucker. Yeah, and there's a you know so th- I, I've worked as an independent contractor. An increasing number of Americans are working as independent contractors every year, and you know there are certainly opportunities out there that you know make that attractive because you have control over what work you're doing or when you work you get more flexibility maybe maybe you can go out and sell your services to a number of different you know employer potential employers uh, for a higher wage than you could get as a as a full-time employee for someone the problem for these drivers is that as you were saying they're they're also getting the equipment from that company and then that company most often is providing all the work that that driver does and that driver is not allowed to work for anyone else mm. and so they're really captured or captive to the you know whatever work that company can provide and typically the law says and I'm not a lawyer but I've I've been studying this quite a bit Um, Typically, the law says someone who's in that situation where they can only do the work that's provided by one company is is usually in an employment situation. Yeah, they're not an independent. Should have minimum wage at least. 
No, it's so true. And um, because, I mean, it's easy to hire someone as an independent contractor. But if you're giving them all the jobs and they have to do it your way and they don't have all of the other freedoms, then they are they are trapped. Talk about um, because this this used to be kind of the American, you know, middle class, strong middle class job, wasn't it? Where the long haul trucker could go out, spend a week, come back every weekend, provide for the family. And it seemed to be a lot more consistent. Yeah, so even long-haul truck drivers before the industry was deregulated in the late 70s did pretty well. And and one of the reasons that they did well was that there wasn't a there wasn't a lot of supply of these kinds of trucks that could go randomly point to point. Um but there was also uh union control over a lot of truck driving. And so the Teamsters Union had organized most truck drivers including a lot of independent owner operators who were members. And they really kept rates pretty high. Hmm. Um, and so even owner-operators who were not part of the Teamsters Union benefited from the fact that truck drivers generally got paid really well. Um, and so if we were to adjust for inflation, what truck drivers were making in the 60s and 70s into today's dollars, they'd be making over $100,000 a year, which most people say, well, that's too much. You know, that, that's too much money. <laughs> but you have to really understand what truck drivers give up in order to do this job and the number of hours that they work. Most truck drivers are working the equivalent of two full-time jobs oh. or more. Um, and they're away from their family. So you say, well, if you were working 40 hours a week and you know, only saw your family once every couple weeks, would that be worth $50,000? And you know, I, I think a lot of people would say, yeah, it's a tough job. You're living out of a truck you know, for weeks at a time, you so, know, missing the birthdays, missing the time at home. Well, and I've seen... Um I mean, I've just heard a lot of stories when the economy was down. I had friends that, I mean, architects that were making a lot of money that couldn't do it anymore and got went and got their certification and then went and hit the road. And it's there really is a science and you they made really good money and they went even as a couple. They were so they had two drivers in the truck at one time, which, you know, gave them a whole other list of possibilities. They made great money, but there's a science to it. And you have to be really diligent and vigilant and smart to really make the $100,000 a year. Um, but, yeah, the, the toll it must take on families, plus the fact that if they're, if they're working 90 hours of, of working a week, um, that's scary, too, because they're on the road, right? And I mean, mistakes yeah. could go up. I mean, just I can't imagine, and I've seen it a million times, a long-haul driver pulled over on the side of the road waiting for the mechanic to come. And what that must be doing to his bottom line and knowing that he's going to have to pay this mechanic out of his pocket, and yet he's now going to be late on the deadline and miss his next pickup. Yeah, so those folks who, you know, are actually going out, finding their own uh, loads, you know, doing, doing the science behind it, as you put it, which is, which is a good way to think about it. You know, they're really trying to see where the market has some extra fat in it that can be profitable, because a lot of times there's nothing to earn there except maybe a basic wage. You know, there's so much competition. So you have to know, you know, where's the freight coming from, going to, you know, you don't want to take freight from, you know, Chicago down to Phoenix and then get stuck there because there's a lot of freight that goes in but doesn't come out of that mm-hmm. area. Um, so you might have a great rate going in but not coming out. So you really got to understand the market and you've got to have the ability to capture that profit when, when it's there. But there's a lot of risk. So, you know, you, you blow out a tire you're late on a load, um, you know, you have a problem there. You also have maybe a $500 expense, $1,000 expense. You know, that can ruin you for a week. If you lose a transmission or something like that, then you have a much bigger problem. You might be down for weeks at a time and have a $10,000 bill. 
Mm. And the margins really aren't large enough for a lot of truckers to be able to overcome that risk easily without it making, you know, basically a huge debt in their in their annual income. Is it um, because one of the things I thought was fascinating, and I guess this is where you got the research, but were, were you a truck driver before then, Steve? No, I was a I was a graduate student. In, <laughs> Just a grad student. Uh, in sociology. And then you and then you got did, in the truck and started to learn to drive. And did you do that with the intention of just doing the research? I did. I did. How? Yeah. Um, then, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's a really yeah. cool way to to experience your what you're studying. Right? You in, you immersed yourself. Oh, I knew absolutely that I had to do the job because I I had talked to enough people to know that you know trucking was a very unique job and experience, and that without really being on the road and, you know, understanding what it was like to live out of the truck, work out of the truck for weeks at a time. Um, I really couldn't ask really good questions in the interviews that came later. Later I did about a hundred interviews with truck drivers and then dozens more with managers and owners. Mm. And, you know, it's a unique lifestyle. It's a unique kind of job. Um, and I knew I had to actually go out on the road and experience that. And, you know, even though I ended my time, as I say in the book, as, you know, pretty much still a rookie six months in, you know, I did end up being late to the birthday parties or missing the anniversary dinners, mm. you know, things like that enough to realize that, you know, this is a really tough job that people are doing, you know, day after day. And, and interviewees actually sometimes ask me, you know, could you, did you like the job? I said, you know, there's things about it that I liked. Um, I didn't mind the lack of routine and I liked being able to see new places and do new things, but you know, the time on the road and the cost of that, that particularly to your family and social life, friends, um, would be really hard to sustain over, over time. We're speaking with Steve Vichelli, who is a former uh, truck driver, really, by research, and um, and the author of the book, The Big Rig, Trucking and the Decline of, Amer- of the American Dream. He is a, an economic uh, sociologist and lecturer at the University of Pennsylvania. He is also a senior fellow at Kleinman Center for Energy Policy and Fox Family Pavilion Scholar. Um, Steve, when you – what is it that we don't um, – I mean – is this is there a future for long haul trucking? I mean, we need it like desperately, right? There's no there's not a lot of good ways to get our materials throughout the country and dispersed throughout the country, except it seems like with this economic model of working 90 hours and basically making minimum wage, it's not sustainable. Yeah, well, demand for trucking is going to continue to go up. We are seeing some really big shifts, and, and this is something that I think the, the public and policymakers really need to pay some sustained attention to in the coming years. We've, we're seeing increasing freight demand, but we're seeing some changes in the way that stuff moves, partly because of e-commerce and, and things like Amazon, and you know, fewer um, goods moving more often in smaller shipments with more time-sensitive um, sort of contracts. And this is going to change what the job looks like. It's also going to change um, because of the development of self-driving trucks. And that's really the, the big question right now on everyone's minds about, you know, is trucking a good job to go into? And, and is, it, is it long-term going to be sustainable? Well, the, the trucking industry has struggled for many years to get enough workers into the kinds of jobs that I've been describing. As I yeah. said, when we first started, there are some really good jobs 
left in the trucking industry for sure, where you have regular routes in your home regularly and get paid really well. Um, and those jobs are, you know, that, that you have to go through the over the road, you know, bad jobs typically to get to those good jobs. You have to you get, get your time. Experience yeah. Safety. Yep. So the big question right now is, you know, what's going to happen with e-commerce? We're probably going to see more local jobs that could be good jobs. Um, and with the self-driving trucks, which are typically going to be able to do, it looks like long haul driving, we're going to see a decline in those bad over the road jobs. Um, and so the question is whether or not these new local jobs that are, that are, you know, coming, uh, and they're going to grow in number, whether they're going to be good jobs or not. And that, that is a real, I think, policy question in many places, because we have drivers working at ports and other places that might look like what these jobs are going to be. And they're really struggling with a lot of the same issues that you have in over the road. So we have some good local jobs and we have bad local jobs and we have to figure out, I think, how we ensure that these new jobs are, you know, good jobs where the trucks are safe and the workers are working reasonable hours and they're not, you know, um, and that they're safe and things like that. Yeah. I can't, I can't imagine, I mean, this ever stopping because there's just, I mean, but if it is automated and self-driving, then uh, it's a whole different world. Um, We're speaking with uh, Steve, um, Steve Vichelli, and he's he's talking to us today um, about the the decline of the American dream and the big rig, kind of the long haul truckers and really the lives they're living. It's it's not. It's not even what we we would we would think it's like. Um, there's a lot of stress. Ninety hour work weeks. They're not able to get home like uh, you would think. And there's a, an enormous science to the whole thing. Just really for many of them, just to maybe just barely be breaking even. It's, uh, it may not be sustainable. And honestly, it's probably leading to other issues as well in our society. Uh, we've got to figure out a way to support. Um, this part of our economy and this part of our of America. We'll continue the journey and continue the discussion with Steve Vichelli. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. We are talking the big rig world and the life uh, driving a big rig truck across the country. Long haul uh, really is it's it may be in trouble because how do you keep paying people really minimum wage, put all of the pressure on them to produce? Um, it's it's a lot of pressure. And 90 plus hours uh, of working may mean they're getting minimum wage. They're carrying all of the risk, and then looming overhead is this idea that it all may go away with uh, automated automated trucks. According to the White House, in fact, uh, the White House released a report in December predicting that 1.3 million to 1.7 million heavy and tractor-trailer trucking jobs could disappear because of automation in the, in the near future. That's 80 to 100 percent of all truck driving jobs. And to here to talk about it is Steve Vichelli. Steve is an economic sociologist and lecturer at the University of Pennsylvania. He's also the author of the book The Big Rig, Trucking and the Decline of the American Dream. He himself spent uh, some time in uh, the trucks doing research, interviewing about 100 uh, or so truck drivers and companies 
to understand what's going on in the industry. Steve, thank you again for your time. It's my pleasure, Matt. What do you think, um, I mean, as, as the White House is now coming out, talking about the, the, you know, the automation of truck driving, um, how far down the road is that? And what kind of stir is it actually creating amongst the truck drivers? Well, I think it's, uh, you know, it's a matter of debate among the experts and even those working on the technology, how, how long it's going to take to get some on the road. There are some companies that say within, you know, a year or two, they may have, um, have some trucks working. And these trucks are going to be um, very limited in what, where they can go and what they can do at first. So it's going to be a relatively slow rollout of this technology. But we could see them on the road within the next three to five years. You could see trucks actually operating over the highway portion of the driving, delivering freight. Mm. I mean, and you can see that where – I mean, I live in Utah, and we make long trips through Nevada, through Montana, through Idaho. I mean, it wouldn't be that strange to see an automated truck driving on those long freeways. That that is where you're going to see them operating first, and so um, you know there was a there was a delivery made last fall in November in uh, in Colorado where a company called Auto, which is now owned by Uber, delivered a um, a load of Budweiser beer, and the, the truck drove without any driver behind the wheel for 120 miles, and it was in a controlled setting, yeah, uh, with you know escorts and and early early in the morning. But the truck was able to drive 120 miles without any intervention from uh, from the driver who was in the back of the of the truck in the sleeper berth. Well, you could actually see too that it, that might actually make a really good pairing. Having a truck driver with an automated system, then the 90 hours seems doable, and it's just more managed by a driver. But I guess eventually there will be no need for a driver. So the. Um there are different ways that people think this might play out. My own personal idea is that there's going to be kind of staging areas, uh, which is what some of the companies say as well, where you're going to have these trucks get on, um, you know, have a driver, human driver, bring them to an interstate exit. And then the truck is going to be able to pilot itself to the next exit where, where a human driver will will take over. And that's mainly because the urban and local driving environments are just so much more complex. Yeah in terms of, you know, pedestrians and kids and all kinds of, you know, even just stoplights and things like that that you have to worry about. Um, and human drivers are very good at understanding what other humans are going to do, and computers really aren't, aren't there yet. Mm. What is the sociologist in you? Um, what did you learn about the psyche, the mindset of a truck driver? Who are these drivers? And what drove them, uh, no pun intended, to get into the trucking business and are they losing hope? Are they becoming more cynical? Well, so there's a wide range of uh, of experiences and ideas that you know that uh, truckers have. Um, <clears throat> so there are there are folks who have been in the industry a long, long time, very experienced, um, understand everything that I wrote in, in in my book for sure. In the beginning, I say I'm, I was actually a research assistant to these more experienced truck drivers on most of the points. But it's an industry that has a lot, a lot of turnover. And so it is one of the first places that people go looking for work when they're displaced. Maybe it's because they were in manufacturing and the job got automated or shipped overseas. Um, or maybe they used to work construction and they can physically no longer do that job anymore. And trucking offers a place where you can still make 
you know, the, uh, a good income, forty to $50,000, you know, within a year or two of being trained. Um, and so you get a wide range of people who are, who are moving into the industry because they've lost another job. And that, they don't stay very long, most of those folks. But you end up with a really wide range of, you know, reasons that people get into the industry and experiences that, that they have. Um, and that's one of the things that allows these, these um, employers, I call them predatory employers, to be able to convince workers to take on these situations that are really not very good for them. So most of the folks who become independent contractors, for instance, are relatively new to the industry. Um, and the employers take advantage of the fact that they don't have a lot of background information um, to convince them to buy the truck. Mm. Uh, it's, I mean, then all of a sudden you're, you are, you have this lease with a major payment that needs to be made. It is your livelihood. It becomes your part of like, it's almost like a house payment for you on wheels. And uh, then you just have to keep grinding it to get your lease payment done. In fact, you're saying there's some people that they're paying for gas, even though they know they're going to lose money, just simply to be able to make a lease payment. They know they're not going to be able to take any income out of it. And just all they're doing is doing it to keep the lease alive. Oh, absolutely. There was there were periods when uh, I was doing interviews during the Great Recession when there were drivers who maybe had had a truck for a year or two and had made a decent wage, not as much maybe as they would have made in a good employee situation, but they'd been making payments on that truck for a year or two. The recession hit. They didn't want to lose that truck. And so they would haul loads just to be able to make those truck payments, some of them even taking you know, income from a spouse, um, from a spouse's income or something like that to buy that fuel just to maintain the overhead cost of operating that truck. Now, week to week, even drivers today with when things are pretty good for trucking right now um, can still have weeks where they where they don't make any take-home income. They, they just pay the expenses on that truck. And maybe they'll make some income next week and decent income the week after that. But then they'll go back at some point to, uh, you know, lots of sitting at docks, et cetera, for a mm. week, and they'll just barely make that those payments on the truck. Sometimes they end up, you know, working 60, 70 hours and owing the company that they're working for money after all those deductions are taken out. Well, and, and then you just think it's an industry where all you have to do is drive a truck. But no, you're a business person. You're a person that has to know how to do business. You need to think almost finances. You need to know how to manage your, your income and your your uh, your your bank statements. You need to know how to do business. What advice do you give to people uh, that might be thinking about getting into long haul trucking or the trucking business, and and is there a safer way to uh, to enter into the process? Well, absolutely, you need to uh, you need to learn about the industry fully, and and the best way to do that is to talk to more experienced drivers and folks who've been who are doing that work that you're interested in. And and I met some drivers who were doing that when I did the interviews. The, the ones who were really doing their homework were spending the time to talk to more experienced drivers at truck stops, um, et cetera. Now, you have to be careful because some drivers get referral bonuses for talking other drivers into, uh, into these uh, relationships, though. The companies will pay them for every driver that they convince to, hmm. to sign on with the company. Um, but talking to more experienced drivers is, is, is number one. And this is changing a lot now because of the Internet. So when I started the research... Um, I started it in 2005, and I've sort of watched the industry evolve over that, that, that time. 
the amount of information that's available online now for drivers has increased unbelievably. And drivers are increasingly wired and, and paying attention to what's happening on, you know, blogs and things like that. And those can be a great resource. If you're thinking about signing on with a company, you know, there's, there's probably a, a chat room or uh, or blog out there that talks about what it's like to work for that company. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate you. Steve Vichelli, uh thank you for your great insight. The name of the book is The Big Rig and uh, Trucking and the Decline of the American Dream. Really, it's uh, this is part of this is part of America when you think about it, and we need to take care of those people that are that are moving the goods, that are making it so we can actually keep our standard of living the way it is. They're not just throwing rocks at your windshields. <laughs> They're out there making stuff happen and really enabling America. So let's look out for them. This is uh, the Matt Townsend Show. We'll continue the journey to help you be the best in the world and be the good in the world right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. That sounds like the Dukes of Hazard music when uh, there's a, a major, you know, high speed chase. Uh, this is Roscoe, Flat, Flat and Scruggs. Flat and Scruggs. Ah, yes, I love Flat and Scruggs. That's where I buy all of my shrubbery. <laughs> um, Flat and Scruggs. The, do you remember? Don't you remember? Roscoe P. Coltrane would be chasing Bo and Luke Duke. Coltrane? No, Roscoe P. Oh, I see. Coltrane, I think, is his name. And then Boss Hogg would always be in his white Cadillac behind. <laughs> Good times. Anyway, uh, we were talking about truck driving, and uh, one of the the, the sources um, that our guest Steve Vichelli was saying is a is a pretty good job still, right? It would be like Walmart's, UPS, all of these places. And man, Walmart! I, I was just looking through the news. Walmart's in the news now because, um, in a way, it's taking on Trump in a very uh, non-political way, the Trump USA hat, because he's kind of moved away from the red hat, make America great. Now he wears the hat that just has the USA on it, especially when he goes to disaster areas. That's where he wears the hat. He sells it on his site, I guess, for like 30 or $40. Yeah. You can get it at Walmart for $9.99. Nice. So if, if you want to wear the attire and have the hat that the president wears, right. just go to Walmart, 10 bucks. Okay. And by the way, probably brought to you by Truckers of America who have transported that hat. Yes. Straight from the port from China where it was imported. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was made in America. Don't want to disparage. Hmm. Uh, any other Walmart Walmart news? Walmart jumped into a uh, uh, their data from all their purchasing that happens in their yeah. stores, and they showed what each state purchases, what their number one oh, purchase cool. item is, Yeah, which is odd because some of these are strange. Arizona likes toasters. <laughs> Georgia humidifiers. Iowa chooses diapers. Wow. Kentucky Good. and I think Pennsylvania have Legos. High yeah. on the mind. Really? Michigan yeah. Michigan likes life jackets, Minnesota folding chairs, <laughs> South Carolina garage door openers. Wow, what's going on <laughs> in South Carolina? Which is really Carolina. specific. Uh, Tennessee likes traffic safety cones. Yeah. Which is, I, I didn't even I know didn't they know sold you, those yeah, I there. didn't know those were on market. And uh, Vermont likes luggage racks. What does Utah like? Chocolate. Attaboy. Oh, yeah. That's great. So if you want to know what your state is buying at uh, Walmart, then check it out at, at business uh, i'll have it on our twitter Matt account Show. yeah i'll throw it up there good stuff yeah. see moving america
one product at a time. That's what we're trying to do on the Matt Townsend Show. Keep up the journey with us, folks. Uh, We've got more straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Happy Friday to you. This is the Matt Townsend Show, joined, of course, by Jeffrey Liam Simpson. I don't know why we always put your middle name in there, but I think it sounds more exotic. Appreciate uh, his mom and dad and family here. Good to see you all. Also joining us, of course, is Terry South. No middle name needed. Nope. But he will go with his uh, his wrestling name, Terry the Thrasher mm. South. Is Thrasher your stage name? Or is that just, why do you have that written on your trunks? Sometimes it might have been flailer because, you know, <laughs> yeah. you get pinned and you're yeah. like, oh, you've kinda... You're like a soccer player uh, flailing. The lingo that was used at my wrestling team was when you fish out. Oh, oh yeah. you flop around like a fish because <laughs> yeah. you're trying to get out from being pinned. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The kids call them teeth rash. Teeth rash. Teeth rash? No, teeth rash. Oh, teeth rash. Yeah. That sounds... Have you ever had a teeth rash? Yeah. It's horrible. I can't just stop. I, you just want to itch, itch, itch. Mm. Anyway. Sorry. Never had an urge to scratch my teeth. but Really? Yeah. I have, you know, but usually there's something on my teeth. Mm-hmm. And usually it's caramel from a milk dud or caramel. Mm. Uh, quick little update on Jeff's diet. Jeff, uh, you still lean and mean? Uh, yeah. Although I'm a little worried for the weekend. I'm terrified. We're going you. out of town and that means we have to eat out. Mm. Yeah. And so far, the choices that I've presented to my wife are pizza joint, uh, taco joint, uh, or a, a diner that, that has burgers, fries, and shakes. Boy. If I were you, just take a little protein shake. Yeah. You'll be fine. And salivate over mm-hmm. my children eating French fries be, and what, ice cream. Be the woman I saw at an amusement park who brought her own cooler, and she opened it up and had her broccoli, her carrots, and just oh, had all her great, vegetables. That's great. Her kids are sitting there. They had some sort of falafel-looking thing they yeah. were just plowing through, and she's over here eating vegetables. What a great example. It's like, wow, now Meanwhile, you got to carry my, your cooler everywhere. My kids have cotton candy stuck to their hand, which is stuck to their high-sugared soda. Right. Which is stuck to their nacho dip. Mm. Nachos? Speaking of mm. Jeff's diet, um, yeah. my wife and I have been sampling uh, apple pie Oreos. Really? It's got like a graham cracker cookie Ooh! with the apple pie filling. How's that work? It's actually pretty good. Does it have like a little slice of apple on no. it? No. That would be good. But it's like you got that cinnamon flavor. Mm. It's just it's just really good cookie. Yeah. So Thank keep an you. eye out for that one. Thank you. That sounds really good. Yeah. Too bad Jeff can't have any. Well, that's all right. He'll, he'll get there. But he is winning the race. Uh, again, like I said mm-hmm. earlier, mm-hmm. He's, mm-hmm. Uh, he's up. You look fit. I like your short shorts. Let me Mr. ask you Stockman. a question. Do I have a problem if I call up Target on the phone and ask them if their Halloween M&Ms have arrived yet? No, but it does. Cookies and scream. Show some restraint. They're not coming out for a month. I think they no, have no, a picture. No. I think they have a picture of me in their store. 
And I'm sorry, sir, we're not allowed to sell to you. Yeah. Are you the guy that's doing that fitness thing for $30? <laughs> yes, Skippy. Come back in a year. So so these are coming out soon, but Jeff is like going to be first in line. He talks about it every day. Well, what happens is when you start taking sugar away, after you've had sugar, you miss sugar. Yeah. And you want more sugar. I'm so sick and he's of sugar. He's fixating on a spit. He's trying to be good, yeah, right? So he's, he's not he looking at all sugar. He just no. wants that specific sugar. Cookies oh, and good. scream sugar. You know what, though? Hmm? My wife continues to flaunt dessert in front of me. And I. there have only been a couple of them where I've said, I'll take one bite and then I'm done. That is, that's really good. I mean, really, all you need is a taste. Right, you don't need to eat the entire helping of dessert. If you no, just right. have a taste of it, you're like, "Wow, that was really good." I, I'm glad I had that, that little bite, and I'm fine. From now on, when it comes to dessert, I only want to eat it if it's like the most amazing dessert I've ever had. Is it worth it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know that the most amazing dessert you'll ever have will be in an Oreo. It no, that's why be. I'll have one. If I don't like them, then or M&Ms. somebody else can finish. I don't them think off. it'll be in any of those. I mean, your most amazing dessert you'll ever have. Come on. Muddy Buddies. Muddy Buddies. How about just a really awesome, ripe, perfectly ripe peach? With cream? Is there anything better than just... Ron Hager said I could eat that. Versus M&M's or something? If you could just bite into a perfectly ripe peach. (sighs) Oh, and it just drips all over. Oh, Maynard. That's heaven. Then it's all sticky and... That's how you it's get gross. the teeth well, you do it in the shower. You just eat your good. peaches in the I'd shower. I'd rather Hoover a bag of M&M's than uh, eat a peach. So. <laughs> Hoover. Nothing's, nothing uh, equates better to eating than Hoovering. Yeah. I think it's a good illustration of, of how the, 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 the level I would like to eat. Yeah. The M&M's at than equating it to a vacuum cleaner. Like a high industry, high industrial We're strength talking vacuum. shop vac, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> my mom used to be a Hoover rep. Nice. Yeah. So we take that word to be sacred in our family. Oh, I'm sorry if I've disgraced the – You're kind of demeaning. The family <laughs> tradition there. Was it during the Hoover administration? No. Hmm. No. That has no bearing on the topic? No. He, you know, he has nothing to do with the vacuum, I don't think. Okay. Unless he does. He, he's the dam. Didn't he build the dam? Yeah. Well, it was named after him. Yeah. He may have started it. We got a lot. Or to maybe cover. he finished it. Yeah, yeah this yeah. is the news he you tells. don't get on any Superman blew it up. No need to go there. I'm sorry. The vacuum? No, the no, damn. no, no. No oh. need to go there. <laughs> it was in one of the movies. Just trying to keep it not in the superhero sorry. world. Sorry. That's by the way. In one hour, you're going to get nothing but movies, entertainment, superhero, screen cleaning is Probably the name no of the superheroes. show with Jeffrey Simpson. Kind of a light superhero time of year, mm. except for on this show. Yeah, I don't think we're talking about superheroes. We'll, uh, we'll also get to some empty news, by the way. A uh, mortar, a uh, World War II mortar found in Utah huh. in a home in Utah, which, by the way, I didn't know Utah was being bombed hmm. during World War II. It's always <laughs> interesting where these end up. Mm-hmm. Somebody could have brought it to Utah mm-hmm. with them. And I forgot about it. It's probably true. Like They brought it from it's, England it back. In, it was in the carry-on. It's just, it's just a, 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 a memento. Um, police arrest a man accused of ramming a Bentley Rolls Royce as well. Ooh, mm-hmm. That no. is a crime. Yeah. A crime. You do the crime, you do the time. That's what grandma used to say. Hmm. Really? She, yeah. Did she's, she... she's a great woman. Hopefully she didn't say that from within prison. Yeah, well, she said it Learn through the glass. from my experience. <laughs> the glass barrier <laughs> through two phones. It was amazing. So that... Oh, wow. I miss grandma. 
<laughs> she was great. Um, we'll get to all that fun, but first, let's do the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the country we should be paying attention to? The U.S. Chemical Safety and Hazard Investigation Board has launched an investigation into the fire at a flooded Texas plant that erupted Thursday as volatile chemicals inside re- reacted after electrical backup systems kept them from cooling, being cooled, failed. The fire at Cros- the Crosby facility known as the Arkema Inc. is out for now, but officials expect more blazes to come. The EPA said Thursday it would let the fire in the trailers, which house organic peroxide, burn itself out rather than the risk lives of emergency responders. Just going to let it burn. Yeah. What are you going to do? I mean, you don't want to go near there. No. Toxic. It's going to get the ugly. group of monster truck owners from Dallas drove to Houston in the days following Hurricane Harvey to help rescue people from the floodwaters. The self-proclaimed Redneck Army was on scene Wednesday when a military vehicle became submerged. Video on Facebook <laughs> showed them with this monster SUV pulling the camouflage truck out of the water to cheers Monster crowd, trucks. Yeah, there's like three of them. They're just driving around town. Mom, the grave digger's here. The grave <laughs> They're not like your A-list. They're, okay. I, look, I looked it up. They're, they're called Rednecks or for Paychecks, I think is what it's called. Oh, okay. But it's, it's kind of like a circus atmosphere, but it's like monster trucks and mud mud bogs yeah, and yeah, that yeah. kind of Yeah, those guys. So, so these are the trucks that you see at the light that have like a mud flap that said, if you can read this, well, no, no, you no. better back off. This is a group. that It's kind of like a circus, like a traveling circus, oh, but with monster trucks. Oh, cool. And they they were around they like the make North a mud Texas bog area, and then drive yeah. through it. So they saw on the news that the water's up like five feet. People are having problems. We have trucks that are ten feet tall. Let's we head can down handle there. this. Honestly, when you think, and who's probably driven in more mud and water right. than these guys? They have that experience. That's so great. they're down there tooling around, helping Changing out when the they world. can. Trump administration's cutting a program intended to promote Obamacare enrollment by ninety percent. The fund will be cut from one hundred million to just $10 million, according to the Department of Health and Human Services. The Senate Health Committee is scheduled to hold four hearings when Congress returns to Washington next month, which is today, because yeah. it's September 1st, on possible market stabilization measures for Obamacare. Since they can't replace it, they got to keep it going, except they're cutting all the money for advertising that it exists. Well, it, you, you got to keep people on it, right? Or it really collapses. Right. So it seems counterintuitive. Yeah, but or is this his way of saying, "Okay, it's we'll just not we'll quit lifting it up, and it'll collapse on its own and get this thing over with." Then. Right, it'll collapse on top of all the people that need it. Yeah, that are currently on it. So I, we'll see what happens, but uh, that'll be coming up in the next few weeks. That that will rear its ugly head once again. On Thursday, Wells Fargo revealed that an independent review of the company's records found that additional 1.4 million potentially unauthorized accounts were created as the bank's employees scrambled to meet lofty sales goals. Hmm. You meet these goals, we'll pay you money. They made fake accounts and using so people's real like information. Million, a million more yeah. names. The bank had conducted an internal review of its accounts after revealing the fake account scandal last year. The new external estimate covered a wider window of time and the bank's review and increased the initial tally by 67%. Nearly 3.5 million unauthorized accounts are now thought to have been opened between 2009 and 2016. The outside firm also found that 190,000 of those fake accounts incurred fees and damages and increased from uh, the bank's initial estimate of 130,000. So these are all people whose credit scores are getting impacted because they opened fake accounts because these people at the bank wanted to get a bonus. (sighs) Over 528,000 customers signed up for online bill payment. They were signed up for that without their permission. Has this had an impact on Wells Fargo? Like, 
People uh, have been fired. Well, but like United Airlines has one video of a, <clears throat> of a passenger being oh, pulled yeah. off, and it drops their market cap by a billion or whatever it was at the time. Has any impact like that large happened to Wells Fargo? Because this I impacted don't think so. millions of lives. Yeah. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if the stock. Well, I think it's more. It's just a bank versus like an airline. It's for whatever, well, it's an airline well, feels more public, whereas the bank is something you deal with without actually right, going into the building. That was like there was one maybe crime committed on a, on United Airlines, but there right. was five thousand. Yeah, committed. <laughs> okay. Wow. And uh, this weekend, if you want to look up and see if you can see it, you'll need some you know sophisticated. Uh, Optics to be able to look into space. But the biggest asteroid to pass the Earth since record-keeping began will cruise by beginning Friday night. And backyard stargazers will be able to spot it with a telescope. Asteroid Florence, 2.7 miles across, will pass a safe distance of 4.4 million miles. It's possible this asteroid could threaten our planet in the far distant future. Oh, great. So we don't really have to deal with it, but uh, somebody may. But yeah, three-mile-across asteroid. Four million miles away. Only four million miles. But we could just shoot it out. We'll just have North Korea shoot it out of the sky. Yeah, they have plenty of rockets they're willing just to fire off at will. (laughs) Sure. They're doing what they can. And one more. We'll call it Guam. If you could make your commute less negative, if you could improve your commute, shorten your commute, is it worth a $40,000 raise? Hmm. Hmm. There's a study. <laughs> There's a study that says people are willing to give up an extra forty grand if their commute could be improved. Mm. For, you, you'd have to have a really ugly commute. To make, say to it's make like that worth it. an hour. It takes you an hour to get to but work. But like my hour, I get a lot done. Yeah. I mean, I sleep through half of it. Right. Sure. And then I listen to audios on tape. I listen to all of the stuff for our guests. No. I mean, I'm very He busy. listens to screen cleaning? I, yeah, I, I do my hygiene, my shaving. My commute, again, kind of like yours, very – it's not as stressful because it's early. Yeah. There's not a lot of people on the road. My wife fights through traffic constantly. Oh, yeah. There's been two or three freeway shutdowns this week mm-hmm. in the area. She said, yeah, maybe. I'd do that. And I looked at her, forty grand. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. For just a better commute? And she said, eh. But see, too, if you're making two hundred grand. Yeah. And you could have like a five-minute commute. Then think of all the time you'd be at home just watching Netflix. Sure. Ignoring your family or doing other things that you do <laughs> at home. So how much is happiness worth to you? That's a great question. That's a great question. I think it depends on how much you make, just like you said, Matt. Because mm-hmm. like, if, if you're making $30,000 and you've got a bad commute, I wouldn't give up forty. You know who has horrible pay and a horrible commute? Truckers. We talked about it last hour. This next hour, by the way, we've got a great topic coming up. Um, we're going to talk about is there a religious way to get angry? And we will be speaking with a reverend that was there in Charlottesville. Ooh. And she's going to talk about what she learned basically being on the ground in Charlottesville. And uh, excellent uh, topic coming up. Before we move um, uh, to that interview, let's – do we have a little time to just do a little empty news? The MT News Team, first on the scene, fifth on facts. Well, you teased it earlier, Matt. Yeah. Uh, there was a collector that found a World War II mortar shell covered in bubble wrap <laughs> in a box of other items, authorities said. A veteran apparently treasured the explosive and kept it for decades until his death when it was passed on to the collector. 
and the officers, uh, this is uh, Police Chief Robbie Russo. The officers told me it was remarkably well-preserved, and it was wrapped in bubble wrap, which I guess is a great sign, yeah, Russo I mean, said. If you're going to have uh, a mortar from World War II, you would want to bubble wrap it. Right. And uh, let's see. Um, it was... Police were still taking pains to be careful after the collector, whose name has not been released, notified them. With a 70-year-old device, Russo said, you never know what can happen. (laughs) Russo's officers, firefighters, and a team from Hill Air Force Base uh, blocked off at least a portion of the street while a bomb squad investigated, and uh, the shell was removed. Oh, 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 dear. Ah. Who took the bubble wrap off? See, now, what would be worse, a mortar shell or a piece of Mordor from Lord of the Rings? Um, I'd say Mordor, piece of Mordor from Lord of the Rings (laughs) for $500. Thank you for your reluctant answer. (laughs) I see again, I watched that movie, but I don't remember the whole thing. So I wouldn't know if Mordor – maybe that's good. I don't know. Whenever I would hear Sauron, hmm? I would get hungry because it would make me think of sourdough bread. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I can't eat anymore. I'm going to have some sourdough bread this weekend. <laughs> mm. Not to make you feel bad, suspender boy. <laughs> Jeff is losing so much weight he needs suspenders to keep his pants on, his pantalones. You look good. Yesterday I made a comment that you look like a rodeo clown. Not true. Not true. You look great. Losing weight, folks. He's the disappearing man. We will continue this journey, folks. Up next we'll be talking about is there a religious way to get angry? How are you supposed to take care of your anger if you are a God-fearing, faithful follower of a peacemaker? Um, Interesting insight coming up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Religion generally urges people of faith to keep their temper in check. For example, anger-related teachings appear at many different points in the Bible, and most references condemn the emotion. Verses like uh, these, as well as anger's inclusion on the list of seven deadly sins, lead some people to try to avoid anger altogether. But trying to avoid anger is, is probably a losing battle as well. Religious people can draw on their teachings to learn more how to channel their wrath toward a more maybe healthier or worthwhile cause. According to Reverend Elaine Ellis Thomas of St. Paul Memorial Episcopal Church in Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, she is going to be teaching us or giving us some insight in how we can manage our emotion, our negative emotions especially, um, and really do so in a way that is more aligned to a peaceful, Christ-like behavior. We are so honored to have you, Reverend Elaine, Elaine Ellis Thomas. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. This is anger is a it's a natural human emotion, right? And and then we right. but we want to oh, we want to be spiritual beings, not just human beings. How how I mean this this kind of came to a furor in Charlottesville. So I think it's so powerful your story, your history. Tell us what you what you witnessed in Charlottesville and 
and what you've learned from it. Well, we've had quite a summer here in Charlottesville, as I'm sure you are aware, yeah. um, starting with, well, it started with the Klan rally on July 8th, although in truth it started back in May when a, a tiki torch-bearing rally was held in what was then Lee Park, um, taking some of us by surprise. We didn't know that that was going to happen. But then the Klan rally on July 8th, and then the so-called alt-right rally, alt -right rally on mm. August 12th. And... It's been an escalating series of episodes in our city where uh, anger and violence and hate have been on display in ways that have shocked, uh, shocked me. I never expected to see um, you know, Nazi uh, swastikas marching across the mm. street from the church where I am. I did not expect to hear young white men yelling blood and soil and Jews will not replace us. Um, our, our clans people dressed in their hoods and their robes so close that I could reach out and touch them. And it was, it's been extraordinary and very, uh, lots of stirs of emotion for all of us who have been on the front lines of trying to stand up to this. Um, as I'm sure you're aware, there are plenty of people who said, if you, if you just leave them alone, they'll go away. It, it will all die down. When in fact, um, I don't know of any religious tradition that claims that you don't stand up to confront evil. Mm -hmm. And so, as a person of faith, and many, mo most of my colleagues in Charlottesville agree that we needed to stand up as a peaceful, uh, nonviolent presence in the face of this hatred that has come to our town. Now, I hasten to add, it didn't just come externally, it rose up as well from Charlottesville. We are a southern city with yeah. a long history. So, um, so it's, been, it's been difficult, and as I said, there has been lots of anger on display and trying to tease out what you would call righteous or justified anger from just hateful spewing of venom. It can be difficult, but it can also be simple. Um, from where I sit... Well, from a psychological perspective, anger is a neutral emotion. It's just an emotion, and what, what you do with it is what, uh, what matters. So from a religious or a Christian standpoint, um, I, I gauge the, the rightness of anger about whether it is directed toward what also angers God. Mm. And from, where, from, from what I saw here in Charlottesville, the anger and the violence uh, was directed against people who were on the margins, against um, uh, African Americans and gays and lesbians and Jews and immigrants and refugees. All of these marginalized peoples are the ones that the Bible consistently lifts up that we are to take care of. And so that, uh, that directs me to believe that standing in opposition to that, that anger uh, that was on display is very excuse me, very important. Um, you also had another, another side, you know, our, our uh, current president was hastened to point out that there was, that there were, both sides were at fault, that there was violence on both sides. And I would, um, I would say that that is a false equivalency, yeah. that the people who showed up, the anti-fascists, the anarchists, the um, activists who were who were more demonstrative in their um, approach to confronting the evil and hate in our midst, they actually uh, did a lot to save and protect lives, including lives of my friends. And um, and this city on August 12th, in particular, would have been 
in much worse shape had they not been here. And they were here standing up for those marginalized and oppressed peoples. Um, so it's, it, and it's very difficult for me because I am, I, I, I claim nonviolence. I, I follow a prince of peace. Um, and that, that is a position, I realize a position of privilege for me to be able to say that I can, I can keep my nonviolent stance at the expense of someone else's needing to be violent on my behalf. And that caused a lot of moral quandary for me over the past few weeks. As I try to come to terms with all of that, were you were you were you out while you were out, um, kind of uh, uh, what, uh, organizing and out uh, uh-huh. uh, meeting with the people and and in this this crazy space, you were wearing your collar. They knew they could tell that you were a pastor. They could see it. Yeah. And so yeah. what? It, it's got to be so amazing because so many people bring out um, this belief that, you know, it's that they're Christian and God is leading them to this angry movement or this angry uh, pushback um, on on what's happening on diversity and all of these things. And I wonder um, how how is it that we can be so full of anger in the moment and yet still uh, try to hang it on our religious values, our religious beliefs as the driver of this anger. That's, uh, that is the, the crux of the matter right now when, um, when groups of, of evangelical pastors are issuing something like the Nashville Statement, which condemns basically anyone who is not a heterosexual um, or celibate uh, human being. Um, that that taking certain parts of Scripture and amplifying them at the expense of all of the rest of them. And I think the same thing happens with uh, people who claim uh, some kind of religious basis for white supremacy. Um, there are, and, and white supremacists throughout our history have used the Bible to justify yeah. the actions that they take to oppress people. But um, I, I firmly believe that you have to look at Scripture in its entire context, as well as all that has happened since the ink dried on those on those scrolls uh, so many years ago. Um, you know, we no longer stone people for adultery. Women now do speak in church. We're, we divorce is condemned roundly in the Bible, and yet it is it is um, it has come to come to be one of, you know, not quite 50% now, it's, it, the divorce rate is falling. But those things are not routinely condemned by those who want to condemn people based on sexuality or, or some other characteristic. And so it's a real misreading, I think, and misinterpretation of what Scripture tells us, as well as experience tells us over the past uh, 2,000 years since Jesus walked this earth. We, we no longer enslave we, well, we claim that slavery is wrong. We do in many ways, and in many parts of the world, including this country, still enslave people in a variety of ways. Um, so I, I think, again, that you have to uh, wonder whether this anger is being directed towards what angers God. And what, what gets mixed up for me in white supremacist movements so often is that there's a real tinge of, of American exceptionalism mixed in with that, and it's that Eurocentric, uh, our heritage as white people coming into this land and claiming it as our own and, and manifest destiny and all of that, and somehow that patriotism is our religion. And so 
we believe that that you know white men, uh, for the most part, um, uh, established this country, and uh, and that's a false narrative as well. It's all a false narrative, but mm. it's what what people seem to hold on to, and then they couch it in terms of God bless America, and this this nation was found on Christian principles, which it wasn't. Um, and, and, you know, that whole idea of fake news is nothing new. People have been claiming false narratives since this country began. Yeah. And it's almost like we need the stories. We need we, – we like to just recount the stories instead of um, actually connect to the spirit of it. It seems to me at some point faith is uh, – it's a personal thing which I must feel um, – personally and and I must have my own relationship with God in order to know what angers God and that that might be for example what moved you to go to be in some of these demonstrations to 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 kind of push against um some of these other beliefs is it I, I guess that's part of what I wonder is, do we sometimes just cloak ourselves in a philosophy and it doesn't touch our heart? We're not actually converted to the spirit of what is taught in the Bible, but more to the image or the facade of a faith or a religious belief. I think that's definitely true, that there is not a real internalization of the message of radical discipleship that I, as a Christian, uh, choose to follow and to which I have devoted my life. And I don't do it perfectly. I'm not condemning anyone here. But um, but there there is a sense of... Um, of Christianity that's more about sin avoidance, and that's usually behavior-based, you know, if I tell a lie or if I smoke or if I steal something or whatever. And that is really, that's just, it is, that's so irrelevant to what the real call to Christian discipleship is, which is to, to preach good news to the poor, as Jesus said in his inaugural address in the, in the Gospel of Luke. Um, preach good news to the poor and release to the captives and sight to the blind, that it's all about Lifting up those who, for so long, have had no no voice, no uh, place in society, and and that continues to this day. There are um, people on the mar- well, not even on the margins. I mean, there are plenty of successful African Americans and gays and lesbians and trans people and women and and immigrants. I mean, so much, immigrants have brought so much uh, richness and wealth and uh, wonder to this country, and yet somehow we still look at them as other, as someone who, as people who are not, in, not created in the image of God in which we are all created. Mm. And um, so it's easy for us to other them, to say that they are something other than we are. And Jesus really broke down those barriers. We are all, we are all one people. And you know, the Apostle Paul probably said it best. There is no, no uh, Greek or, or Jew, no slave, nor free, nor male, nor female. We're all one. And mm. We we haven't embraced that terribly well in uh, so many ways. So that's what urges me to do the work that I do, which is I, I in my baptismal covenant, uh, promise to uh, respect the dignity of every human being. And so the challenge for me then becomes when I'm standing out there confronting hate, how do I still respect the dignity of those people whose who's very humanity has been distorted by by what they the way they've been raised or what they've learned or the ideologies they've embraced and then how do i pray for them or help them be restored to wholeness and wellness in in god's eyes beautiful beautiful insight we're speaking with uh, reverend elaine ellis thomas 
who is uh, is talking to us from St. Paul's Memorial Church um, at the University of Virginia. She also was there during the demonstrations in Charlottesville and was was really pushing back on the beliefs, the the, the ideology, the ideas um, that um, that we that we should fight for one race, uh, fight for you know one view of life instead of understanding all. And uh, she's just giving us some insight today about how to manage our anger and still live our religion and our faith. And there's a way to do both. And part of it, it sounds like, is getting back the respect. When we come back, we'll continue the journey of finding respect and dignity and really being able to see the divine in everybody on this uh, earth. We, we, uh, we got a long way to go on that, and it's part of the journey. We'll continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Uh, we are joined by Reverend Elaine Ellis Thomas, and Elaine is uh, uh, a pastor and um, basically grew up uh, grew up in North Carolina and Tennessee. Lived in Oregon for four years. Finally landed in Pennsylvania before coming to Charlottesville in 2014, and she's here as a as a reverend to teach us really about anger and anger and and how we can still be a religious person and how we manage our anger. Because there's a lot of it. We don't want to pretend like it doesn't exist and we have differences. But how do we take our faith tradition and and actually have it resonate with Christ and godly behavior instead of turning into just major uh, battles and demonstrations where people are harmed and uh, and anger boils over? Um, Reverend Elaine Ellis Thomas, thank you again for being with us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you. What are what are some ways that we can we can actually respect and dignify the the child of God that we are angry with? How do I how do I have the how do I go through this process of not liking what they're saying and still remaining faithful to my belief set? Well, I think you have to prepare before you get to the point of that confrontation. And for me, um, and for people of faith, I think that. Uh, being well uh, grounded in prayer and in scripture and theology and understanding what our faith teaches us. And then, you know, meditation and contemplation are great ways of, of freeing oneself from, from reactive emotion and, and just sitting with it and handing it over to God. And, and there are times when if my anger or some other emotion is getting the best of me, I recognize that I can't, I cannot control it. So I just, I in my prayer, I'll say, God, you're going to have to handle this one mm. for me because it's way beyond me. Um, but I, but you do have to have a center in order to do this work because otherwise you're going to be triggered by um, on a on a purely emotional or psychological level by things that are being said to you. On August 12th, the uh, neo Nazis and white supremacists were hurling horrific insults at women, at men, at mm. anyone who was in their way, and it would be very easy to respond in kind, but 
if you are if you claim a nonviolent uh, uh, direct con- even a direct confrontation, but one that is nonviolent and grounded in faith, then that kind of reactive behavior is simply plays into the hands of those who want to provoke you. So, And if you're not well grounded in your faith and in your prayer, then I find that it's much more difficult to maintain some kind of self-control. It's really amazing that in those circumstances and in those situations um, that I, I actually felt no anger at all. I, um, mm. There was just this kind of conviction that I was doing what I needed to be doing and um, and and kind of a, tr- a transformative uh, grounding in my faith that said I don't need to be afraid, um, that I am standing um, in a long line of people who have stood up to injustice in this world. and. Um, and that it's the it's the Christian and moral thing for me to do, um, and also to put to put myself in place of um, those who have put their bodies on the line for so long. I mean, um, you know, African American people and Native people and uh, gays and lesbians and others, they have been the ones who have who have had their bodies beaten and killed and um, and and shoved aside and mistreated. Um, whereas me as a white woman, um, you know, I, I have not had that experience, so why not make it my business to uh, put myself in, in their place and so that they don't have to? Mm, and that's I think powerful. That, that is a very, well, it's a very, I think it's what we're called to do. I mean, it's what Jesus yeah. did for us on the cross. I mean, Jesus put Jesus' body there uh, instead of ours and uh, and did it to show us that this is what sacrificial love looks like. And um, and so that is our model. And mm. um, I, and a lot of people, I do want to say, because a lot of people use Jesus' cleansing of the temple, which appears in all four Gospels, as a justification for some kind of violent, uh, righteous uh, anger. And I just would want to point out that that's the one instance where Jesus' uh, anger is on display, but it's because they were, they were offending and insulting God, that they were, this was God's temple, and they were defaming it, they were desecrating it by, by being money changers in the temple. So his anger was directed toward what is offensive to God. And so when I say to you, um, you know, that's, what, that's where our focus needs to be, what, what angers God, and, and um, uh, that, then to me that is justifiable anger. And again, it's how you go about expressing it, um, which is not, in, for me, not in the hateful speech or in violence but um, in, in bearing witness. And then, you know, moving forward from what we've had here this summer, it's actually doing the hard, deep work of restoring people to, um, to right relationship with each other and with God, and that includes those who, have, who feel so threatened that they operate out of hate. So, you know, there's been a lot of talk about um, people who, are, who feel that they're being marginalized or pushed to the side in order that minorities and um, that diversity can be implemented in this country. And um, so to make sure that, um, you know, whether it's housing or health care or jobs or whatever else, that all, all people have access to the goods and services and wealth of this nation. And I think that channeling anger into something constructive is, um, is the best way of, of, um, of dealing with it in a way that is not, um, destructive that does not harm people, but instead seeks to restore people to the wholeness of their humanity um, as as God's creation. That's beautiful, and really, yeah, we have to let that emotion out 
not just in the moment of it boiling over, but we could be letting it out for years and years just by understanding people, by hearing their point of view. One thing that I, I love as you were bringing up um, examples of Jesus, like he lived in immense unfairness and uh, – and it's interesting to even see the apostles around him. Peter lashed out, cutting off Malchus's ear when it got tense, right. and and then had to hide and deny God or deny Christ thrice. And I mean, so as the humans around God were always struggling with it, and yet He loved them fully. He even turned over the keys to the kingdom to him. Right, run the run right. the run the church. But understand, I understand you're human. What what else can we learn? From um, from how kind of I guess Jesus handled it in the moment, being uh, you know in a trial with men that he knew were full of it, and um, you know, and he could have brought down angels or whatever to cleanse the temple, and he didn't. So, what else can we learn from our faith and and to bring our faith into the moment, into the very uh, moment we need it, uh, and, and and overcome the fear. Right. Well, again, um, if Jesus is our model, Jesus time and again got away by himself to have a time alone to pray, to meditate, to to strengthen himself for what it was that came ahead. Um, and and then he was able to respond from that godly place, from from um, a place that that was single focused. I mean, he never from being about uh, healing people and restoring them to relationship with God, and the ultimate restoration with God came in uh, permitting himself bodily to be crucified. Um, but, and he never, I mean, there, there are people who say, well, I, I'm not going to have uh, anything to do with these people over here. I'm not going to have anything to do with these people over here because they don't think the way I do, or I think they're wrong in the way they approach things. But, you know, Jesus not only dined with, with sinners, but he dined with Pharisees and with tax collectors mm-hmm. and with people who were part of the powers and principalities. So you can't, I cannot say, I won't have anything to do with someone whose politics I don't agree with or someone, even someone who, who stands in direct opposition shouting uh, racial or, or some other kind of epithets at, at uh, people. I would not ask my, um, those who are the direct um, recipients of those insults to sit down and try to have a dialogue. But if we are, if we have been given this ministry of reconciliation, it does not happen by shouting at each other across a barrier or um, calling each other names. It happens through doing the deep, long work of having conversations, finding commonalities, and then finding ways to move forward. We may never agree on everything, but if we're all looking, if what we're all looking for is is a life where everyone has the same access to um, to the to the goods of this creation. Um, then we have to be able to have conversations with each other. And um, I'm not saying that any um, any white supremacist has been inviting me to dinner. Um, but however, um, these are these but are, you the would go. are going to have to happen. Yeah. I probably would. I I would. As, but you know, again, I would have to. Be, yeah. Make sure that I have strength to do that, and be ready, and pray, and and then to be willing to listen in a way that again is non-reactive. Because I can guarantee you, the things that someone might say would make me very angry mm. in the moment. But to be able to listen so deeply, so as to respond from a place that says, "I hear what you're saying, and here's what I believe." 
And, and again, and you can, right? And at that point, defend your beliefs, defend your ideas. Reverend Elaine Ellis Thomas, thank you so much. You are a light uh, in a dark world at times. And uh, we appreciate really just the lessons and the mere fact that you're you are on the front lines and willing to step out. It's so in, it's so hard for so many to 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 do what you have to do. And um, we appreciate your faith, and uh, I guess most importantly, just your your desire to be uh, close to your God and to live what you believe. Doctor Elaine Ellis Thomas. <sighs> it's a hard thing, isn't it? Balancing what you believe, balancing what you go to every Sunday and talk about in church with your day to day life. And yet it's worth it, and it elevates humanity. We'll continue the journey to elevate all of us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Yes, friends, uh, this is the show, the place, the the location you need to head if you want the latest and greatest information. Today, we uh, cover all forms of news, empty news as well, and uh, we got to talk about a poor little Bentley Rolls Royce. It's a sad, sad story. <laughs> you just, it's a sad story, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, so I I used to live in Washington State, Seattle, Washington, actually, and this was really close to where we lived. Uh, there was a 32-year-old man who was arrested after allegedly, I like how mm-hmm. they use the word allegedly, rammed his car into two oh. luxury vehicles at uh, a Washington car dealership. Sounds expensive. That was a, yeah, that's a... That was a big accident. It was expensive because he caused more than $500,000 in damage. To the two cars. Unbelievable. To these beautiful cars. Police say officers responded to a Bentley car dealership on Sunday night and detained the Seattle man. Police say they found a Bentley and a Rolls Royce significantly damaged. The dealership owner said the estimated value of both was over $500,000. Two witnesses told police they saw the driver of a Honda ram the unoccupied parked cars multiple times. Police say the suspected or the suspect told officers he had not slept in about three days and that he may have had a panic attack. Oh. Do you know anybody that's had a panic attack that has caused them to <laughs> deliberately crash into cars? No, I haven't. I haven't heard of that, but... He, he, by the way, he also ruined a Honda. Oh, Let, yeah. Let's not look down on the Honda. I know. It's the most stolen car around. It's a quality car. Totally. Um, so uh, this upsets me in a way because when I got hit, hit by a car when I was 11 years old trying to race home to yeah. catch an episode of Home Improvement. Right. And I went to school the next day. I flew up onto the hood. They slammed on the brakes. I flew off the hood. I went to school the next day. All I had was a big purple bruise on my leg. Nobody believed that I had been hit by a car. And so everybody started saying that I got hit by a parked car. Oh, that's so rude. And it was humiliating. So rude. Because yeah. you, you didn't. You got hit. You almost went home in an ambulance. That would have taught him. Yeah. Anyway. Hey, yeah. what's coming up on your show today? Speaking of Bentleys and Rolls Royce. So these are not just for people that are bored Dr. Matt, board games are for everyone seeking good quality fun with their families, with their friends, or even by yourself. I know you've played solitaire before. Come on. Oh, every day, all day long. So we're going to be speaking with an avid gamer 
who's going to give us some ideas on what we can do depending on how many people we have in our group. And also, we're going to be having a little trivia contest between him and me. Oh, my heavens. With movies and movies about board games. Fun. It's all straight ahead, folks, on the show Screen Cleaning with Jeff Simpson. You're not going to want to miss it. Hey, until Monday, take care of each other. Make it a great one. We'll talk again Monday. Screen Cleaning up next. All right, Cole. How about this one? B7. Miss. All right, Jeff. Let's go with C12. Hit. (laughs) D2. Miss. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. How about C11? Miss. Jeff. Come on. Hit. You sunk my battleship. Good for you, Cole. Ugh. Well, welcome to Screen Cleaning here on the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson. I'm joined here by the winner of this game, Battleship, Cole Wissinger. And I I have to tip my hat to him because he didn't gloat or rub my face in it. He won gracefully. Ha <laughs> ha. I take back everything nice I've ever said about Cole Wissinger, or at least the things that I just said about him. Anyway, welcome to Screen Cleaning. We're here every Friday at 9 a.m. Mountain Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, and we are here really to help you save your Friday and Saturday nights to do the most entertaining things you can so that you don't have to scrimp and save or look very hard to find things that are appropriate to do together with your family, and we have got a great topic today to help you do just that. We're going to be speaking with an avid board gamer, or just gamer, who owns over 400 board games, most of which I've probably never heard, probably about 95% of them I've never heard, and uh, it's going to be a good show. We're going to have a lot of fun, and one of our goals here on the show is to give you the best in entertainment news. We don't like to focus on the negative. We only want to give you the very best. That's what we're all about. And so let's start off by doing that. I have some fantastic news that's probably going to make you very jealous. But here it is. As of last night at midnight, I officially released myself from my cable contract. Yes. Yes. Oh, it's so exciting. I don't have to uh, take a look at my bill every month and wonder why does this price keep going up and why am I paying $80 per month to not watch TV ever? And we really don't. I, I look up all these movies to record and then they just sit there on my DVR gathering dust I don't know if a digital file can gather dust. I mean, but... that's the question, though. If it canceled <laughs> as of midnight last night, does that mean you got through all the things that were sitting on your DVR for months and months and saved and waiting? And I was going to try to do that, that someday. And oh, they just sat there for months and months. So I, I made a, a, a note of all the ones that I might want to revisit at a certain time, and I'll mm-hmm. just get them from the library. So Good no luck. big loss there. <laughs> Finally cut the cord, though. Good job, Jeff. Yeah, thank you. It took me about an hour to do, 
And then later that night, they had Take special some, scissors to cut the cord. Yes. Is that what <laughs> they, later that night, they had some special manager call me up and you know try to offer me one more really big deal. They basically oh, were going to say, "Well, well, if you stay in your contract, we'll give you like a twenty-two dollar a month deal." And it was so refreshing to just say no. Nope, I'm not going to let them rope me in again. And, of course, they ended it by saying, okay, if you ever want to come back, we'll welcome you with open arms, basically, is what they said. Yeah. Not going to happen. We're moving forward. We're cutting the cord. No amount of money or uh, any lack of money thereof is going to make us stay on. You know the price of your freedom, Jeff. And it is not $22 a month. Exactly. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's great news because now I have a lot more time to use my movie pass, which we've been talking about. Ten bucks a month, you get to go see as many movies as you want, uh, asterisk. And um, I've used it twice, two nights in a row. So now I have more time to go watch movies by myself <laughs> That's in the movie theater. so popular of you, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I would get one for my wife, but we have a three-month-old, so we don't get out much. But it's great. It works for the time being. It's 10 bucks a month, and they haven't been sued yet, so I'm just going to milk it for all I can. That's the spirit. Cole is anxiously awaiting his in the mail. Yep. Should arrive sometime between now and September 10th. So I think a, that was the date. The a week and a half more? That's not too much longer to wait. It's all right. And we have some excellent news from Cole, and I'm going to let Cole share this news with you. I know he's super excited about it, and I'm super excited for him. Cole, what's the big great news that you want to share? I'm a somewhat certified movie critic nowadays. Yay. (laughs) That's exciting. It is. Somewhat movie critic. Explain. What do you mean by somewhat? Well, I'm a I'm a contributor, right, for a certain indie entertainment magazine, and okay. so I am able to watch movies before they come out, and then I write a review of them, and it gets actually published. Wow, which is kind of fun. That is exciting. Mm-hmm. Good for you. Um, wow. And so there, these films are kind of a little more obscure films that might not be available to a, a lot of people. Right. Not the ones that we okay. generally talk about on Friday with Rod <laughs> and that kind of thing. But they're still really good films by really creative people and, you know, people that haven't done movies before and they're getting their message and their vision and their movies out there as well. And sometimes I think that's really are, awesome. Yeah. Sometimes those are the best ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, not on this show, but on another show, we're gonna I, we're gonna have to go over this list that my dad shared with me from the L.A. Times of movies that really nobody knows about that you should all check out. And that's so, always a tricky list to make because if you right. want people to like your list, you have to make it accessible enough that they are going to recognize a few of them. Sure. You can't actually give them a whole list of 20 that no one's going to hear of because yeah. then the list can't gain traction. So you've got to walk a, a pretty tight line if that's the kind of list you want to make. Well, and the sad part about that is one of the films on the list was on my DVR. <laughs> Never got around to watching it. I really – I would always try to uh, convince my wife to watch it with me, but she never wanted to. So I just well, didn't watch it. Anyway, um, we've been meaning to do this more on the show. And today I'm happy to say that we finally can. We're going to tell you why today is significant in movie history. September 1st – and I did the math. 
September 1st in 1991 was Harry Potter's first day of school. Aww. Did you know this? I did. And every school year. <laughs> really? Yeah, I know. Uh, Sorry, every... I'll be more excited next time. Yeah, yeah. I'm more shocked. More... Every school year, he went to school on September 1st, mm-hmm. which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. From Platform right? 9 and 3 quarters, leaves right. at the same time every year. So mm-hmm. maybe sometimes he's going to school on a Saturday or a Sunday, which would not fly uh, here in the muggle world, I must tell you. Um and then also, I didn't have to do the math on this one. The first day of Harry and Harry Potter and Ginny Weasley's son was September first, two thousand seventeen. So That's today, today. Wow. so he just he just left uh, platform nine and three quarters. He's on his way to Hogwarts. He's going to have a great semester. Um, yeah. So good for them. Hogwarts is starting again. <laughs> anyway, that's just a bit of what's going on in the news today and why today is significant in movie history. When we come back, I'm going to share with you some other great news. I'm going to do a little bit of a review for you. Not a movie review, not a board game review, but an app or application, if you will, review. Super excited about it. We've talked about it before on Matt Townsend's show, and we're going to keep talking about it on our show when we return. This is Screen Cleaning. Thanks for tuning in to a 90-second movie review for the film Logan Lucky on BYU Radio. In 2013, Steven Soderbergh announced that he was retiring from making films. He's returned, though, to direct Logan Lucky, and we are lucky he did. Logan Lucky is a heist film. Soderbergh made Ocean's 11, 12, and 13, so heist movies are in his wheelhouse. This time around, though, the actors portray stereotypical Southerners trying to steal money from Charlotte Motor Speedway. Not only one of the most notable tracks on the NASCAR schedule, but they want to do it during one of the biggest races of the year, the Coca-Cola 600. The humor in this film is a dry, deadpan style that is funny. The best character for me was Joe Bang. Daniel Craig playing an explosives expert with bleach blonde hair. It was really fun. And he never once sounded like James Bond, and he was always on point. Plus, there are some cameos in the film of NASCAR drivers not playing drivers that were fun to catch. Channing Tatum and Adam Driver as the Logan brothers play off of each other very well. I was very entertained by this film, but I must say I am a NASCAR fan, so there's some extra in it for me. The ending did make me ask some questions, but there may be a sequel. Also, this is not a true story, as you'll see in the disclaimer at the end of the credits. If you plan to take your kids to Logan Lucky, there is some language spread throughout the film. You'll also see some violence in the jail as prisoners fight guards and each other, and a man is naked in the backseat of a car, but he's visible only from the chest up. Logan Lucky is rated PG-13, and I am giving it a B+. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Sean O'Neill. This has been a 90-second movie review on BYU Radio. I feel like this song has been playing through my head the past few weeks, and here's why. So, a while back, my sweet wife gently said to me that I probably ought to get in into shape because... Uh, a shape that isn't round? Y- y- yes. Thank you, Cole. Um, <laughs> I'm here for support, Jeff. There you go. Uh, because I come from a family where... 
we didn't we tend to have a lot of health issues whether it's uh, issues with the brain or the heart or with diabetes or with different types of cancer and so my wife has really started worrying for me and i decided to finally listen because this has been something that i've wanted to do my whole life anyway is to get into shape and not you know go really strong for a week or two and not eat anything that I love and then, you know, immediately return to what I do love and binging on it, in fact, which is so often the case with people that are trying to lose weight and get in shape. I'm actually trying to make lasting change. I came across an app that I decided to give a chance or to give a try. It's called Diet Bet. The way Diet Bet works is you pay a certain amount of money and it varies depending on which program you're going to go with. They're called games. You pay a certain amount of money to join a game that lasts for either four weeks, six months, or it's just a game where you're trying to maintain your weight. If you're doing the four-week program, you have four weeks to lose 4% of your body fat. If you're doing the six-month program, you have six months to lose 10% of your body fat. So I elected for the four-week option because I've never you know, done something like this before. And the way it works is it's not a winner-takes-all program. If you accomplish your goal, you get a piece of the pot that everybody contributes to. So everybody, Not a piece of the pie, Jeff? That's true. No more pie. Um, so I, I joined a $35 uh, game. So my $35 went into the pot. So 35 times however many people in the group, that's how big the pot is, okay? Now, of course, this company is going to take a 25% cut of that because that uh, that's the if – you, if you only do $35, it's 25% of the cut. But if I – and I've done the math. If, if two-thirds of the people accomplish the goal, I'll gain like $10. I shouldn't say gain because I'm all about losing, right? Uh, losing the weight anyway. So really, this isn't – for me, it's not uh, – the incentive isn't to earn money because, you know, I'm probably only going to make five or ten bucks. But the incentive is to not lose the money that I put in, right? And there are ways that, that people can maximize their winnings. Let's say they join multiple games at a time. The problem is they're putting more money down, so they'll have to wait longer to get that money back. But I'm happy to say that I've already reached the goal, the weight goal, in three weeks of the four weeks. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. And so what I did is I just joined another group so that I could maintain instead of reverting back into my old habits. So I'm starting to notice a change in the way I think about food and listening more to my body and really asking myself uh, questions, do I need to... Stuff myself silly. Do I need to eat this bag of Cheetos? Can I wait to the weekend to have a dessert? And the answer in the right order is no, no, and yes, if you're keeping score at home. Anyway, diet bet, something to check out. I've had some success with it as well as so many other people. Um, of course, if you're really worried, you might want to talk to your doctor. And I'm not a doctor, and neither is Dr. Matt. He, I mean, he's a doctor, just not that kind of doctor. Anyway, when we come back, we're going to be speaking with Jacob Gowans, who is a published author. He is a dentist, actually, a pediatric dentist. But for the sake of our discussion with him, he is first and foremost an avid gamer. When we return, this is Screen Cleaning with Jeff Simpson. 
I know we talk a lot about movies on this show, but screen cleaning is first and foremost an entertainment show. That includes TV, sports, we even did a show about video games. But today we're going to be talking about another entertaining activity, board games. And we've got an avid gamer with us here on the show today. His name is Jacob Gowans. He received a Bachelor of Arts in Theater Studies at Brigham Young University. He's a published author, and Jacob, we're going to need to have you on the show to talk about that another time. Uh, A Tale of Light and Shadow is one of the book series, and uh, Scion Beta, which I actually narrated. You should check it out. And he's currently a practicing pediatric dentist in Georgia. And as I said, he is an avid gamer. And he's going he's gonna to spend some time with us here today to tell us what it's all about. Jacob Gowans, welcome to Screen Cleaning. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. So first of all, one thing that uh, – the, the way that you and I met was back at college in a storytelling mm-hmm. class. And yep. I am not an avid gamer. I was a little blown away when I entered your home and saw just the wall of games that you have there. <laughs> but it seems like a lot of these role-playing games and, and tabletop games, there's an element of storytelling involved. Do you Definitely. find that that's true? Oh, yeah. Um, in fact, that's one of the things that I prefer about uh board games you know when you when you play board games when you play a game over and over again or if you play with a group over and over again that that dynamic kind of becomes its own narrative to where you kind of remember you know let's say i'm playing a game that has a betrayal element in it uh if you're the person who betrayed somebody last time in in, in a previous game they're your your game playing buddies are less likely to trust you in a, in a, in a forthcoming game because of that interesting so yeah you know clearly on this show we don't really advocate like poker playing or anything like that or gambling. (laughs) But do you find that when you, when you play with somebody often enough, these tabletop games, do you find that you can tell what that person's going to do next or what their strategy is going to be just based on how often you've played with them? Are there, are there tells that they have? Yeah. I mean, you can kind of, if you play enough with people like my dad, for example, uh, my dad's a terrible liar and, and we've all <laughs> kind of gotten used to knowing when he's bluffing or if he's like the bad guy in a game, we'll, we'll figure it out pretty quickly because he's just really bad at it. Yeah. So I know that you've played with a ton of different people. In fact, you, it seems like you have like a weekly game night that you host at your home playing all sorts mm-hmm. of different games. Is there some kind of a social contract that you have with these players? Or in other words, is there like a a general set of rules, whether they're actually spoken or if they're more unspoken rules? I'm curious to know what type of gaming etiquette is involved. So I, I, I do host a weekly game night. And when I set up, I recently moved to Georgia and I, and I set up a new gaming group and I actually sent them the rules that I expected them to follow before our first game night and I'm not going to go over all of them, but like a couple big ones to me are, first of all, you got to be a good sport about playing a board game. I mean, no one wants to play with a sore loser or a sore winner, but also <laughs> I don't want to play board games with somebody who's going to be on their cell phone the whole time, you know? Ooh, that's, so that's one, one. That's, that's one of my big ones is just be there to play the game and not to do other things. And then uh, if you're playing board games at someone's house and you don't own the board game, you should always ask them if you can put a drink or food on the table because board games are expensive. I mean, you're, you're, you're looking at 20, 30 minimum to sometimes uh, uh, 80 to a hundred dollar maximum for a board game. So spilling a drink on a game 
can be like ruining someone's, you know, $100 board game. Sure, sure. I, I want to tell you a little story. I'm not going to name names, but uh, <laughs> I recently played a game with someone and found out very quickly that this person was ruining any possibility that I had of winning the game. So I then took it upon myself to completely sabotage that person's chances of winning, so neither of us could really make any progress. This person <laughs> uh, then proceeded to uh, very subtly lift, took the board, grabbed the board by his or her hands, and launched it across the room. <laughs> and I said, okay, I guess we're done here. Anyway, it probably wasn't very nice for me to do that. Um <laughs> Just an interesting aside I thought you might find funny. Okay, let me let me take this in a little bit of a different direction here. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a two-part question. First of all, I'm curious to know how many games you currently own. And secondly, you know, with so many options that we have on Friday and Saturday night to go to the oh. movies or stay home and watch a movie, there's just so many options for entertainment. What sort of an argument would you make for board games and staying home and playing a board game? Uh, so I currently own around 400 games plus plus expansions, and that's. Wow. Uh, Does your wife have some sort of a rule with you that once you reach a certain number of board games, you have to get rid of one of the others or several of the others? Um, once we run out of space, that's probably when we'll have to have that conversation. <laughs> once it's the question between getting more board games or giving up a kid, then yeah, that's <laughs> that's when it's too much. It's when you that's cross the right. line. That's. That's a pretty decent sized collection, I guess. Um, the uh, The reason why I prefer board gaming to like watching a TV show or playing a video game, even, is because you know you're actually interacting with people, um, and that I think is what makes the memory so much more sweeter than uh, just going to a movie and enjoying something together or playing a video game at the same time and you know, getting a headshot on somebody is when you play a board game, you're looking them in the eye. And if they, if they backstab you, like in the game of Thrones game that I love, you have that interpersonal connection that that's like something that they're, they're looking you in the eye when they, you know, betray (laughs) you and, and take away your, 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 uh, territory or, uh, kick you out of the game. So, I mean, it's, it's a very personal experience and it it makes for great memories. So if, if you want to go down, you want to go down while staring that person in the eyes. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely absolutely so you mentioned a couple of them i'm curious to know other than you know the social aspect of it let, let's talk about kids for instance i've got three sure. kids you've got like at least a dozen um <laughs> what are the benefits of board games for children that are you know still very much learning and absorbing everything that they see and and do i think the number one thing that that it teaches kids is how to lose and I think it's an important lesson for kids to learn. You know, a lot of kids, when they first start playing board games, if they lose, they're going to cry and they're going to throw a fit and they're going to blame somebody for them losing. And it takes it takes a little bit of time and maybe a little bit of warning to say, hey, if you keep acting like that, you can't play games with us. That the, the child learns to deal emotionally with losing. And um, that's that can be learned in other ways too, sports and stuff. But games, it's a really simple way. But beyond that, it teaches them, I think, to solve problems, to think critically, to do math, to exercise logical thinking. So all those things, they really do teach children to, to um, you know, to think outside the box. I mean, I watch my kids play games with me, and it's really amazing to see them slowly grasp strategy, and uh, you know, learn how to even beat me sometimes. 
So, uh, Jacob, we, we've got a, a few minutes left in this segment. I just wanted to ask you if you could give us some ideas for, you know, clearly there are different scenarios in which people play games, and you obviously cannot play every game in every scenario. So I was hoping mm-hmm. that you could give us, like, your favorite two-player game and your favorite game to play with a large group and your fa- your favorite fast game or your favorite long-haul game. Could you give us some uh, uh, some examples there? Sure. Uh, my favorite two-player game is called Twilight Struggle. It's a war game that reenacts the Cold War, and it is one of the best games as far as two people staring each other down from the opposite side of a board and making really tough decisions every turn. Um, you have to give it a few games to really get get the feel of it under your belt, but once you do, it um, it becomes one of the one of the best games you can play as far as just pure strategy. Um, now, I'll mention a couple other two-player games that are quicker because Twilight Struggle can take two to three hours. But if you want a couple of quick two-player games, uh, Patchwork is fantastic. Um, it's simple enough that even a, a children can grasp it, but they'll slowly learn to ha- see how much depth it has in strategy. Um, and also Lord of the Rings, the confrontation for people who are kind of fantasy nerds. It's kind of uh, Lord of the Rings confrontation is kind of like Stratego. And kind of like chess, and it's just a really fun, quick little game that two people can play. Now, if you're playing with a larger group, let's say eight to ten people, my favorite game is Resistance Avalon. And that's where uh, you play as teams trying to – half the team is, are supporters of Merlin, and the other half are the minions of Mordred trying to defeat the the, the good guys, the, the servants of Arthur. And it's a bluffing game with deduction, trying to figure out who are the bad guys and who are the good guys – and um, there's lots of accusations, and it can be just a really fun game. But some people are really bad at bluffing. Some people are really bad <laughs> like at social dad. games. <laughs> and so, and so for those people, I would recommend a game called Captain Sonar, which is a eight, uh, a game up for up to eight people, where they take command of two submarines trying to sink each other in kind of like a game of Battleship, but but much more complex and much more tense. Uh, it's just a great game where. Um, it, it ends up kind of boiling down to people just shouting orders to try to get their submarines moved around this board, and it's just a fantastic game. Now, for long-haul games, if you want a game that's like – when I think of long-haul, I think of games that you play in multiple settings over maybe the course of days or weeks, maybe even months. Gloomhaven is the hot game right now. Um, it will take you uh, – it takes – I've heard over 100 hours to play. It's a cooperative Whoa. game. Yeah, yeah. You play on the same team and you can you can set it up and take it down and save where you're at. The guy who did it, his name is Isaac Childress. He did a, a Kickstarter run that earned him almost $400,000 in income. And then when he did a second Kickstarter for the same game, he brought in millions of dollars because this game is just so hyped. Holy cow. And uh, I'm getting my copy in October and I'm just so excited to play it. Well, Jacob, uh, we, we need to take a break, but I, out of all those games that you mentioned, I think I've heard of one, which is Stratego, which should be good news for you because when we come back, Cole has put together a little bit of a trivia game for us revolving around board games, and there may be some movie tie-ins there, but uh, I, I will already admit when it comes to board games, you've got me beat. But when it comes to movies, hmm, we'll have to find out. When we return, this is Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show with Jeff Simpson. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning with Jeff Simpson. 
I'm speaking with Jacob Gowans, who, among many other things, is an avid gamer, and uh, he owns over 400 board games. I am feeling kind of inadequate in the board game department now because I don't have that many, and I think the most obscure one I have is Ticket to Ride, which would probably make Jacob laugh. Anyway, we're going to test out some of our board game and gaming and movie knowledge right now. And Cole has put together a little trivia game for us. And Cole, why don't you explain how it's going to go down? You betcha. So this is a game called Trivia Quest, which bears some similarities, I guess you could say, to a certain trivial board game. Except in this case, the winners will not get any pie. Woohoo! No, you won't get pie. Yeah, I'm still excited. Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's play for the fun of it then. In this game, there are two different categories. We have games that are featured and show up in movies and TV shows. And then we have movies that were based on games. Okay. And we're going to take turns. We have to give Jeff a little bit of a handicap as he plays. Yes. Uh, and so he'll get <laughs> his own question to answer. Uh, and then we'll also be able to give our honored guest his let's own do question it. to answer. Let's do it. All right. Uh, Jeff, would you like to let our esteemed associate go first? That would only be proper. I think so. All right. So to start off, in the first Harry Potter movie or book, what chess piece does Ron take over for in the final chess game? A knight. That is correct. It is a knight. (laughs) I knew that one, but I knew for sure you would know it too. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jeff, you're next. Again, in the category of (sighs) games showing up in movies. Okay. What was the name of the monster from Dungeons & Dragons that the kids (laughs) fight in Stranger Things? Oh, I didn't know that was from Dungeons & Dragons. I've just been watching Stranger Things. The first edition, too. It's one of the premier monsters. I should have gone first. Um, I The only thing I know about Dungeons and Dragons is the movie had Jeremy Irons in it. Is the answer Jeremy Irons? No, the monster was not <laughs> Jeremy Irons. I bet Jacob knows. Would you like to steal Jacob? I believe it was the Demogorgon. It was oh, the Demogorgon. Ding, 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 ding. Yes. Okay. Uh, good for you. <laughs> so for those keeping track at home, it is two to nothing. Jeff is trailing. Oh, wait. He gets that point? Oh, because he stole it. Okay. He might get two if we were going to play it the exciting way. Okay. (laughs) Let's keep it going. All right, Jacob. Would you like to stay in this category or do you want to go with movies based on? Let's go movies based on. All right. True or false? In the movie Battleship, Liam Neeson utters the line, They sunk our battleship. Uh, I haven't seen that movie, but I will guess. I will guess false. It is false. Oh! There were a lot of 50, things wrong with that movie, and that's one of them. Could have been much oh. improved by <laughs> Liam Neeson being able to say that. Wow. Good for them, though. That line had to be in there. It had to. But it wasn't. No one says that line. Mm. Wow. Not Rihanna, not Taylor Kitsch. Rihanna was in that movie? Rihanna was in that movie. Yeah, I'm glad I skipped it. Okay, my turn. All right, okay. Jeff, what category? Let's go about board or about games, movies about games. Okay. Which of the following Hasbro Toys or Games movies have been directed or produced by Michael Bay? Battleship, Ouija, G.I. Joe Rise of the Cobra, or Transformers? 
I believe the only one he did not have a hand in was Ouija, and uh, so he was involved in all the others. Final answer. That is incorrect. No! Jacob, do you have a steal? Uh, I will guess. I'll say he wasn't involved in... Uh, oh, I know now. I know what it is. Ouija or um, G.I. Joe. Also incorrect. Oh, wow. Michael Bay was the producer of the Ouija movie. Wow. Which is a little outside his wheelhouse, it seems. Yeah. But he was not anywhere near Battleship, despite all the explosions and Michael Bay stuff. I read something about him. Nor was he in G.I. Joe. Okay. Mm. Wow. I guess we don't know our Michael Bay very well. Yeah. Okay, so that was Jacob's no that out. was Jacob's wrong answer, right? So now it's my turn. Is that what you said? That was your wrong answer. <laughs> and now it's back <laughs> He's to Jacob's. To steal my question. Okay. It's still three to nothing. All right. Thank you for the reminder. Mm-hmm. Of course. Which category <laughs> would you like, Jacob? Uh let's go back to the other one that I was doing better in. You got it. What is the famous two player game that John Locke is seen playing in the beginning of the television show Lost? That would be backgammon. It is, in fact, Whoa, my goodness. There are two sides, light and dark. Yeah. And they never really go anywhere with that uh, that little clip, it seems like. Until I know. I guess they actually season. do. I guess they do. Yeah. I know. I really wanted to see who won that backgammon game. <laughs> okay. Well, I know who's going to win this game, but just give me the next question anyway. Okay. So we'll stay in the same category then for you. Uh, what is the fictional game called that Ben Wyatt invents? In the television show Parks and Recreation. <laughs> oh, it's like cones and uh, <laughs> cones and thrones, or uh, it's like uh, adventure to to Mordor or something like that. I know it has cones in it. There were cones. The Jacob, cones. Would you like- I I oh. have no. I cannot remember, and I loved loved that show. Okay, Jacob, you can steal. Cones of Dunshire. Cones. I knew. Of so I got to get half a point at least. I knew there was cones in the title. <laughs> you can have half of a point, and Woo-hoo! Jacob will get the other half. All right. You're still losing. <laughs> okay, but that was his question, right? No. All right. Still no. See, okay. I don't think I want to play games with Jeffrey. He cheats a little bit. Doesn't no, he? I don't cheat. <laughs> I just don't know any of the right answers. Oh, uh, okay. All right. Next, uh, back over to the movies based on games. And this is actually a movie based on a game that didn't happen, and then they made the game out of it later. Uh, in the movie Jumanji, Jacob. I knew Jumanji was going to come, come up on. Complete the line. Don't be fooled, it isn't thunder. Oh. Uh, don't be fooled, it isn't thunder. Oh. Um... <laughs> Some I don't know. Jeffrey, can you steal? Uh, don't be fooled. It isn't thunder. I come from the land down under. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> Not quite. Staying put would be a blunder. Oh, it was on the tip of my tongue. And then the stampede comes through the bookshelf. That's right. Okay. I knew it was the stampede, but I couldn't think of the word that rhymed with thunder. Okay, that one I know was not my question. Correct. Okay. And because you allowed Jacob to go first, you get the final question. Jeff. Is this it? I think this, the final and one? this should be worth this should be worth five points. This oh, one's worth thank you. about five points. Okay. Give or take. 
Unless he gets it right, then I take that back. <laughs> right. <laughs> so for this to be worth, we can have this be worth five points if you can answer it in its entirety. Okay, How about that? let's go for it. In the movie Clue, yes. who was the killer? Ah, this is a trick question. Okay. Maybe. Do you want the order? Because listen, let me give you a little history about the movie Clue. When the movie (laughs) Clue was released, the marketers of the film thought it would be a clever marketing gimmick. And we're wrong. Hold on. To only show one of the endings and so that uh, theater goers would have to see it multiple times to see the other endings. It was a horrible mistake. Didn't work. The movie did not uh, make a lot of money. In the the version that people in our generation are used to, if you're going on the the one of the endings, it's Mrs. Peacock. If you're going on another ending, it's uh, Miss Scarlet. But here's what actually happened. Exactly, Tim Curry. Tim Curry was the killer. However, however, every one of the characters kills at least. One person, including the only one who wasn't a quote-unquote killer, Mr. Green or Michael McKeon of Spinal Tap fame. Final answer. I think that's worth about five points, don't you? (laughs) Finally, you you named a movie that I'm familiar with and I love. Wow. Jacob, good work. I Applause all around. Mostly to Jacob, though. Wow. (laughs) That was an impressive answer. Oh, my goodness. Well, Jacob, clearly you are the victor when it comes to board games and movies about board games. Well, his name is Jacob Gallons. We've had a great time with him here on Screen Cleaning. He's an avid board gamer as well as a pediatric dentist in Georgia. And we were so lucky to have him on the show. And he gave us some ideas of how we can spend our Friday and Saturday nights together Jacob, thanks again for your time. We'll have to have you back on the show and talk to you more about your literature. Thanks. That would be great. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to be speaking with Spencer and Jerem at BYU Sports Nation. This is Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. I can do lately when I hear this song is cry profusely. So I'm hoping that our next guests, Spencer and Jerem of BYU Sports Nation fame, can uh, can help me feel a little better about myself. Spencer and Jerem, as uh, as Ebenezer Ebenezer Scrooge said in A Christmas Carol, speak comfort to me. How many games in a row have the Dodgers lost? Five. So I, I did. I figured this out because last week I remember saying on Friday's show, "What do you think? What do you guys think of the Dodgers winning ninety games? They won one more game that Friday night and have not won a game since." So we need Jerem's reverse curse to come into work here. Only sixteen games ahead of the Diamondbacks. I know, but the Diamondbacks right. just <laughs> swept them. They swept him, and they didn't. I mean, they made him look really bad. Five runs in the first inning, three runs in the first inning the other night. So, yeah, they humiliated all three of the Dodger starters. But I guess the silver lining is that uh, Clayton Kershaw is coming back tonight. Is that the silver lining? Yes. Hmm. Are you guys, are you just furious with me that 
I have a team that is almost a 700 team, and I'm crying over this. Yeah, I'm a, li- I'm a little uh, concerned about your expectations at this point. <laughs> oh, I've told my dad I've I've all but given up hope that they'll make <laughs> it to the World Series. So <laughs> we lost five in a row. <laughs> <sighs> You know, you're supposed to make me feel better. ESPN is jokingly, like mockingly, sounding the panic alarm on the Dodgers. They're like, <laughs> they've lost four in a row. What does oh, it no, mean? Oh, five now. Yeah, I know, but come on. It's going to be all right. Thank you. Now, can Why the not? same be said for BYU this weekend? Is it going to be all right? Yes, it's going to be all right because the expectations are for BYU – to lose this game by 16 points. I'm not sure what really? the fan I, What do the fans expect? I, I don't have a good gauge on that. Because what you're saying is what Vegas expects. But I don't know what BYU fans expect. Well, you guys because aren't BYU you're not betting up, on this game, are you? You mentioned no, Vegas. We would, we would literally lose our jobs okay. if we bet on BYU. <laughs> like, that's against the rules because we work here. Um, I'll but, make a note of that, by the way. Yeah, yeah no so, more, Jeff. So stop doing that. Uh, but... The, LSU is a really good team. They're really good, but they have a new offensive coordinator named Matt Canada. LSU usually just kind of stinks on offense. Um, Darius Geis is a tremendous running back. Danny Etling is an experienced quarterback, but he's not a guy that's going to break a game open. The LSU defense versus the BYU offense is probably the matchup to watch in this one. Yeah, Geis versus the BYU front seven. You know, there's some intriguing matchups. Do we think that BYU can score more points than they did last week? I do not. So I think the BYU wow. defense probably has to show up in this one and hold LSU to 10 points and hope that the offense gets 13 or something. Yeah, the overwhelming feeling I get from BYU football, and I spent quite a bit of time around him this week between interviews and yesterday uh, with Thursday's hero thing, is they just want to see where they stack up against LSU. They're just excited to see how they match up with a team of that caliber and of that history and go out and play loose. So, if anything, that that is a, a little bit of an advantage because the pressure is not on BYU to go and, hey, you have to win this game. So, is this akin to somebody who's unsure of themselves in high school going up to, like, the prom queen and asking her to go out with him? Sure. Just to see where he's. Why not? Yes. <laughs> Maybe she'll say yes. Maybe she's like, wow, I actually think he's really good looking. I want to spend some time with him. Well, thank you. Or I, I take that as a compliment. Or she could be like, you're an idiot. Yeah, shove him in the face. Smack him. Yeah. And he goes home crying. Yeah. Wow. That's how, the worst case scenario is BYU doing what it did at Michigan in 2015, which is to lose 31 nothing, barely cross midfield and be like, oh my goodness, we're not on the same level as those guys. I remember what... I don't expect that to happen this Yeah, I do not. I remember what and where I was eating when that happened. Like, it it was embarrassing. I was at Wingers, if you're curious. Wingers, the uh, all-you-can-eat sticky finger lunch. Love me some Winks. (laughs) Sticky finger lunch. With a side of popcorn. wet nap. (laughs) Have you had the sticky fingers lunch? It's really good. It is. That I sauce some, is amazing. I have some sticky finger sauce in my fridge as we speak. For purchase Br- now. Bring it. Bring it to work. This episode of Screen Cleaning uh, and the Crosstalk with BYU Sports Nation is brought to you by <laughs> Wingers. <laughs>
<laughs> oh, goodness. So what else is coming up on the show other than anticipation for uh, BYU's football game okay, tomorrow? Okay, we're going to discuss the secret formula. And we've asked BYU Sports Nation to help us out with this. Like, what? Release the secret weapon! Yes, what things <laughs> have to happen other than scoring more points? And if you say scoring more points, Jeff, I will give you a red card. Oh, I won't say it then. Just execution-wise, what, what does BYU have to do to actually pull this thing off? Like, what storylines in the game have to play out? They need Rick to Bell consume... Gave us his, his big stats the other day, what he thinks has to go in BYU's favor. Like, what, what do fans think has to happen for BYU to actually... Win this game. They've got to consume uh, cougar tails. That's their spinach. That sounded exactly like the sounder for that. Way to go. What does Popeye send? Whoa! (laughs) Well, blow me down. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Also, we have Dennis Pitt on the show, so um, take that for what it's worth. Those tips don't lie. (laughs) I mean, he was an All-American, and he caught a touchdown in the Super Bowl, and he is a millionaire, so... And he might want to take Jerem's job. So, ooh, watch out, Jerem! He knew the salary; he would laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Comparably yeah. to his salary. Well, it sounds—it sounds like happy. a great show. We're excited. Yeah, listen, Cougars, join, join Cougars in the NFL doing some serious work oh, too. Touchdowns on wow. touchdowns last night. Yeah. Wow. Okay. We got the update. Well, I'm I'm hopeful that uh, by the time we speak next week, the Dodgers will have another W. Reverse curse, Jerem. Reverse curse. Nope, the, no, the Dodgers will win. It. The Dodgers will will uh, lose five in a row again. That means that they're going to start winning again. Thank you. That was my key for Sutherland. Thank you, by the way. The whispered. Get me a you. chopper. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Where's Chloe? <laughs> All right. Well, Spencer and Jeremy, you guys have a fantastic show and a fantastic weekend. Bye. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Wow. Didn't sound like they were too hopeful, but at least they made me uh, realize maybe I'm being a little too overreactive when it comes to the Dodgers. A little too much drama. Yeah. They'll be fine. Drama makes for good radio, though. You know what else makes for good radio is our panning for good segment. There's good in them dire hills. Well, our guest today, Jacob Gowans, uh, the avid gamer, gave us a few ideas for games that we could play together in a small group, a large group, uh, fast games, long games. I'm going to give you a lesser-known game that actually has amazing reviews on Amazon, and we know the creators of this game. It's a little game called Cover Your Assets. And uh, I, the the title is a little tongue-in-cheek, I realize, but uh, Cover Your Assets is a game that's basically like a mix between risk and war, okay? So you have all these different assets, like you have baseball cards, you have cash under the mattress, then you have things that are a little more valuable, like cars or jewels, then you have the coveted home, they all have different values, And uh, then there are a couple of wild cards, such as a silver card and a gold card, also with uh, a higher value. Okay, now you pair these assets together and you alternate stacks, one on top of the other. Okay, are you with me so far? Gotcha. And what you try to do is you obviously want to have the most amount of money by the end of the game. The way you do that is by putting down your own assets 
or stealing other people's assets. The reason it's called cover your assets is because the first one you put down, nobody can steal. Anything on top of that is fair game. The reason it's kind of like war is because if you want to steal somebody's somebody's asset, you have to show them that you have one of those cards in your hand. And in order to defend themselves, they have to have one in their hand as well. So it's a ton of fun. It's very, I don't want to say it's addicting. It, it is, but it is a, a ton of fun. It has a 95 per, 95% of the people gave it a five-star rating on Amazon. And we're talking hundreds of reviews. So check it out. It's probably only 10 or 12 bucks. Well worth it. You'll get tons of fun out of it. And uh, that's what we do on Screen Cleaning. We try to put a big old spotlight on all that is good in entertainment. It doesn't just have to be movies. And as we learned today, it can be board games, too. So have a good, long weekend as we celebrate Labor Day. And we'll be back again next Friday to give you the best in entertainment news here on Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show with Jeff Simpson and Cole Wissinger. We'll be back.